You're listening to That's Pretty Dark. The podcast where we talk about all of the entertainment that scared us as children and still haunts us as adults. So grab your flashlight and join us as we take a frightfully nostalgic look over our shoulders and under our beds and in our closets. And together we'll realize, well, that's pretty that's dark. Pretty dark. <laughs> so last time, you know, you were here. <laughs> I was here, yeah. We talked a lot about Governor Bone. <laughs> I made a lot of jokes, a lot of really unnecessary jokes, a lot of inappropriate jokes. Mm-hmm. I hope people laughed. I hope no one <laughs> cried. I'm sure there was laughing and crying. I'm sure. I hope there were no screaming children, crying children. I really hope I didn't disturb anyone's <laughs> evening. I was going to open this episode. I had made a note. <laughs> I was going to open this episode talking about a guy I used to know. Named Governor When Bone. I was a barista. When I was a barista at the coffee shop I worked at for a few years. Mm-hmm. Became the roast master after a while. Roast ma- That's a real title for anybody that's doubtful. Uh, and I was not a master roaster. It's a very different certification. Different I was just title. a roast master anyway qualifications can be the same job though and the same person but there was a guy who used to come in and we had this reward system you put your name in our computer mm-hmm. yada 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 we're familiar and his last name was bonner okay bonner b-o-n-n-e-r mm-hmm. no mistaking the pronunciation right but if you forgot his name and you asked him what's the name for the account he would say boner no, he wouldn't. Every time. Nuh-uh. I was going to open the episode talking about that and tell that story, but I decided against it. <laughs> so I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you about- What you just told us. Mr. Bon- Bonner. But did he do it just to like f- with people? He would hold very extreme eye contact. That's what I'm saying. I think he knew that it would be fun. It, like it was his own private game that he played with himself. <laughs> I really hope so. He once brought me a, a weird, cheap copy of For Whom the Bell Tolls mm. and like slid it across the counter <laughs> and said, I picked this up at the free library at the university, at the college across the street and like gave it to me. His phone number was inside. Yes. But it was so funny because the last time um, he did it, I would ask him on purpose and he said, Boner. And I said, I'm sorry, what was the name? Oh, uh, Bonner. Okay. So he corrected himself. Yeah, he himself. was totally, totally. Really weird. It, well, I don't honestly, know. Honestly, <laughs> it could have been like a come on as well. You never know. Well, that's kind of what I was thinking since he gave me a copy of exactly. For Whom the Bell Like tolls. Freudian slip kind of thing, but intentional, you know? I think it was the wink that did it, really. I think that's really what sold me. Winks <laughs> are fairly unambiguous. Like if you get winked at, there is there is serious intention there. I don't know. Unless you're at church camp. Oh. And then it's a whole ass game that you play. Lord have mercy. Speaking of winking... Actually, not as much. This is That's Pretty Dark Podcast. Welcome it is. Mm-hmm. to our podcast. My name is Christian Mott. My name is Kaylin Andrews. We're going to do a whole lot of winking today. Winking, physiological sighing. We did that before we recorded. <laughs> you take a really deep but, breath. Guys, it's a great tip. Let's do it again. You want to do it okay, on the air? Let's do it real quick. I'm ready. Let's get into the zone. Listener, feel free to do this with us. Let's be in the same place together I'm going to put moment. in some music to count down the like eight <laughs> seconds or whatever. I don't think have I have do. the right seconds. It's probably like six seconds that you hold it and then you start to let it out for like sure. five or something, four. I don't know. The second breath is what's key. Let's get this wrong. So let's get this wrong. Together. Yeah. Together. Let's do it. Breathe in. Second breath. (sighs) Slowly let it out. You should be breathing in through your nose. Out through your mouth. You like those wind sounds? Um, I, yeah. I actually can't hear that. 
I can't hear a thing. He's literally blowing in the microphone. I can't hear a thing. It just sounds like the old cartoons when it would be like a storm outside. Mm-hmm. It's all black and white. Ooh, Everything's blowing and building all the trees. Yeah. You hear the, the whistle mm-hmm. of the wind. The I think I can do that pretty good. Well, what a great story you didn't tell. And uh, what a great uh, exercise we uh, didn't do correctly. <laughs> and now we're here back again for our final round of Balto casting. So pumped. Did you guys enjoy that interview? <laughs> yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening to part one and to our hangout episode. We've gotten some really great feedback on it um, so far. Yeah. And I know it has been all Balto all the time around here, pretty much all of 2024 <laughs> so far in January, the longest month ever. A month and a half of Balto so far. <laughs> but again, we have gotten such good feedback. So yeah, why not just do it one more time? One more. I, I was thinking today that we said everything there was to say about Balto. But I think we're going to say a whole lot more considering you have almost twice the amount of material you had for part one. I have so many pages of notes because I think every time I think I'm done talking about Balto, I find something else to say. And that's the best Um, kind of content. I hope that you guys find that to be true as well because this title is one of the most, I would say, universally beloved titles that we have explored thus far. And it's not often that that happens because usually whatever we find is really polarizing. This is true. Whatever we talk about. This is true. But in this case... Everybody loves Balto and it has fared so much better in terms of a rewatch. A lot of people rewatch it. Mm-hmm. I rewatched it myself like six times. And every single time I watched it, I found myself being sucked into the movie again rather than writing the notes I was supposed to be focusing on, which is why it took right. me as long as it did to finish my notes. But that's a good sign. That's a sign of a, a good sign. job well done, honestly, as far as a movie is concerned. It's like what Roger said in the interview. It doesn't look old. It doesn't look new. Mm-hmm. And that's the same thing with how it feels. Timeless. It does. It feels timeless. It does it not feel timeless. like a 30-year-old movie. And you guys are like, yeah, it feels timeless. We've talked about it for the entire month of January, <laughs> the entire year for of January. all of time. <laughs> but I think it's worth it. I do find it funny that even with this prolonged intense peril and the rampant disease, (laughs) Balto is still one of the most beloved children's movies of the whole decade. Ah, the traumas you can bury under humor and stunning sunsets. (laughs) That's a motto for my life in general, but I think it really describes this movie. And it's a good thing we're here to bring that gallows humor, just really to lean into it. Also, as I was going through these notes, I was reminded, I've just been in a very nostalgic place, which is not new for me, but still, um, I was reminded of how obsessed I was with this time period for so much of my elementary school life. Um, My fellow American girl, girls, get it? Yeah, the 1920s. Uh, Just the time period of the 20s and the romance of the 20s. Yeah. And here we are again. And uh, I hope history doesn't repeat in certain ways, but... All signs. Pointy yes. I was about to say, all indications are that it will. Shake the eight ball. So, Shake it again. Shake it up. Would you like to go ahead and get an overview of the cast characters and additional crew and the details that we haven't yet talked about? I think we have to. I think that <laughs> we have no choice. Good. Because, yeah, your only option was yes. I've been waiting to hear all about these people. It turns out, in the case of Balto, the characters were designed before the voices were cast, and the actors were given model sheets, like the one we posted last week on our Instagram, Mm -hmm. to look at before each recording session in order to get a sense of the characters that they were portraying. Nice. So instead of designing the characters to fit the voices, the actors had to play to the visuals. And I think, you know... That works. Both methods have their pros and cons, but I can't help but think it just worked especially well for Balto. I think I would have more fun trying to create a voice for a specific look mm-hmm. that I think it sounds like or feels yeah. like. Yeah. yeah. 
I could see pros and cons. Several of the voice actors, though, were replaced kind of late in the game. One of those being Kevin Bacon, who signed on to play Balto at the studio's urging for a bigger name in the title role. Hmm. Who'd they have before? Another lesser known voice actor, Kevin Anderson, had actually already recorded all of Balto's lines. Oh, wow. So they were like, we need a new Kevin. They needed a new Kevin. We need a new Kevin. We needed a new Kevin. And we got one. Um, And correct me if I'm wrong, listener, but I think this was one of Kevin Bacon's only, if not his only, animated roles. Of course, he is famous for many other things, including Animal House, Footloose, A Few Good Men, Apollo 13, Mystic River, Friday the 13th, etc., etc., etc. And we can't forget (laughs) the titan of cinema, Tremors. (laughs) Tremors. Uh, he was the lead in one of the darkest and most haunting things I have ever personally watched. The following. Oh, did you ever see the following? You know what? I actually had to stop watching that. It I messed did with too. my head way too much. It gave me panic attacks. It made me feel really bad. Yeah, me too. So I it was one of the like just the worst feelings in the world. It was well done, but it was almost too well done. But no, you're right. Haunting is the word. Kevin's depiction of Balto is pretty much perfect, in my opinion. We have talked about this at length with David and Roger. Um, He's that quiet hero that we all need. Uh, Jeffrey James Rabb, one of Balto's supervising animators, worked on Pete's Dragon, All Dogs, The Secret of Nim, Fox and the Hound, and also supervised animation for Maggie from Fern Gully. Oh, wow. And Grandmother Fa from Mulan. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, nice. So I think that was kind of fun. Two grandma figures in our fictional childhoods. Pretty cool. Or the fiction of our childhoods. Sure. Kelsey Grammer, Dennis Leary, David Hyde Pierce, and Steve Buscemi were all considered for the role of Balto. But I, for one, am glad that it was Kevin. Kelsey Grammer? <laughs> God, I can't imagine that. It's just a different movie. It really It's a is. different movie with any one of those actors. This is true. The legendary Jim Cummings plays Steel, but that also almost wasn't the case. Oh. Uh, we talked about Jim at length in our Page Master episode, but if you need a refresher, he has been in nearly 600 titles. He's Tigger. He's Scar. He's Darwin Duck. <laughs> um, but still to me, Steel stands out as one of Jim Cummings' best performances. Yeah. It's very impressive. Steele's casting story is also interesting in that Brendan Fraser was originally hired to provide Steele's voice and had gone so far as to record his lines as well. Jeez. I can't see that. I could see Brendan Fraser in the role of Balto before I could see him as Steele. Oh, Balto for sure. In an interview, director Simon Wells revealed that the shift to Jim Cummings came because Spielberg wanted a clearer sense of Steele's inherent evil. Hmm. And they definitely got what they asked for. For sure. Uh, Steele's voice is probably the most chilling pun part of this film for me uh and according to imdb trivia steel is named after the mounted police superintendent samuel b steel uh one of the famous contingent of mounted police charged with keeping order during the chaos of the 1896 to 1899 klondike gold rush oh wow yeah cool tie to history the gold rush is the reason that no one was put on the map as a gold rush town. How about that history? Moving right along, Bob Hoskins plays Boris Gusinov, Balto's caretaker and mentor, a Russian snow goose. I like Bob Hoskins, but oh no! do you know who I wished was in this role? Who did you wish? Dom DeLuise. Mm, yeah, I can just see because, that. Just because it had similar vibes to all dogs and he you was the little that. fun sidekick. Yeah, that's, that's fair. I'm just saying. I don't think he was on the list. I do have a list though. I want to hear it. Hoskins was a television actor throughout the 70s and 80s and found success in the movies with Mona Lisa in 1986, for which he won an Oscar. Mm. And you would also know him from Pretty Dark Stuff, like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Mermaids, and Hook. 
With Bob Hoskins passing in 2014, rest in peace, Bob, hmm. uh, Balto is the only animated film in which he appears. Really? But his uh, only other voice acting role before his death had been a dog named Winston in the live action film Garfield, A Tale of Two Kitties. That's cool. From 2006. So it's like he didn't have any other animated roles, but he did have another voice acting role. Yeah. And he was succeeded by Charles Fleischer for the sequels of Balto. I see. Those considered for the role of Boris, supposedly, include Jim Carrey, James Cromwell, <laughs> Roger Moore, and Danny DeVito. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was almost, thinking Jim I Carrey. I thought you might say Danny DeVito, and I was like, I was thinking hang on. Jim Carrey would be great, but damn, dude, Danny DeVito. I don't know. I was really impressed with Bob's performance, too. I felt like it was No, perfect. it was great. I had I'm no... not saying he should have been replaced. I was right, just right. thinking was from a- the movie. From another- just from like a vibe standpoint of that, mm-hmm. like father figure- you know, voice yeah. of reason, older, older, wiser, punnier, older, wiser. Yeah. All the, the jokes, <laughs> the puns. It so just felt many very puns. similar. It must be all the talking dogs. Boris definitely was a character that I heard David's voice in a lot. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Bridget Fonda of the famed Fonda family, including her father, Peter, her grandfather, Henry, and her aunt Jane Fonda, mm-hmm. but also Danny Elfman's wife plays Jenna. That's Danny Elfman's wife? or That's Danny Elfman's wow. wife. I did not know that. That's nuts. I didn't know he was married. Sure is. Wow. I thought for a moment it was the same woman who voiced Victoria from Corpse Bride, mm. but it wasn't. I looked it up. No, because yeah, it's, it's Bridget Fonda. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, Different person. But the connection to Danny Elfman, I did think was kind of wild. Uh, Bridget made her film debut at age five as an extra in Easy Rider in 1969 and continued acting into the early 2000s. The character of Jenna's facial design is based on actress Audrey Hepburn, but wow. Julie Kavner, Michelle Pfeiffer, Carrie Fisher, and Nicole Kidman were all considered of the role for the role of Jenna. Wow. No, I liked her. I liked her a lot. Yeah, it needed to be Bridget. Mm-hmm. They were just, they were right. They were right. It was a good choice. Nothing else to it. Um, I feel like Bridget brought this like strength and femininity to the role, and I just, I think that was the right call. It's the same level of like stability and confidence that, mm-hmm. you know, old Bacon brought to Balto. Yeah. But they're both so soft-spoken. Yeah, they, ma- they were a good match. They were a good match in that way. Yeah. Um, Fonda was also seceded by Jody Benson, a.k.a. Ariel, in the Balto sequels. <sighs> Princess Jenna. That's nuts. <laughs> of course, we have to discuss what is, to me, one of the funniest casting choices in this film. Phil Collins uses his perfect pipes to play Muck and Luck. What? You didn't know? No, I had no idea. You didn't know? I didn't look up any of the cast. <laughs> I can't believe you didn't know. Uh, Boris's adoptive polar bear cub nephews, Muck and Luck, are voiced by one and only Phil Collins. Phil Collins. And apparently Phil actively pursued the role. Uh, Simon Wells was quoted as saying, Phil's never done a voice for animation before, but he was very keen to do it and actually contacted us to do the voice. Wow. Then came up with this voice for Muck that was just head and shoulders better than anything else we heard. <laughs> just That's was, awesome. Again, meant to be. Yeah. This list is very interesting, though, of those who were supposedly considered for those roles. Dan Castellaneta, <gasps> Kurt Russell, and Eric Idle were all considered for the roles of Muck and Luck. Though I don't know if they actually auditioned. It's so beneath Castellaneta. <laughs> In my opinion. I don't know. I think he would have made sense. Uh, maybe. I think he would have made sense. Maybe. But I, I'm glad. I, it was way more fun than it ended up being, Phil Collins. It's way more interesting trivia, for sure. Nicholas Marlette served as a supervising animator for Muck and Luck, and he has a ton of DreamWorks titles under his belt. And I feel like you can see the DreamWorks animation in those characters yeah. also. Yeah, now that you mention it. 
taking a pause on the cast for a second, uh, I thought it was interesting and I wanted to point out that TV Tropes talked about how our leads, minus Steel, are a great example of a four-temperament ensemble, which is a classic way of profiling personalities and diversifying stories and plots based upon, as Christian, you probably know, the four humors. Mm -hmm. So in the TV Tropes analysis, the melancholic role is Balto. Mm -hmm. um, the phlegmatic role is Jenna. The choleric role is Boris and the sanguine is muck and luck. Wow. I think it's cool. That's pretty awesome. I think that's a really interesting like way to analyze things. And I feel like we can probably bring that up. I'm sure we'll have opportunities and other things we talk about to go into that. Yeah. I wonder what Hogwarts houses they'd all fit into. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've done that analysis before. We've we'll done do that it again. <laughs> actually, in my mind, it makes, it makes perfect sense. I can actually see it. <laughs> Miriam Margolis plays Grandma Rosie. She is an award-winning actress, having starred in everything from Age of Innocence to Romeo and Juliet, the Leo version. Hmm. And she played Professor Sprout in Harry Potter, speaking of- Yes, she did. If you didn't realize. That was the first <laughs> note I wrote down was Professor Sprout. <laughs> there she is, in all her glory. She also voiced Fly in the classic family film Babe and Aunt Sponge mm -hmm. in James and the Giant Peach. Yes. And one of the most fun to me, she was the voice of the matchmaker in Mulan. Oh, wow. So two Mulan connections. <laughs> two Mulan connections to Balto. That's nuts. Miriam sounds like such a fun person from like reading her interviews and other interviews about the cast. And Simon Wells said that while they were shooting those live action scenes on location in Central Park, he said it was pretty much a nightmare um, as far as like locking up the set and everything. Oh, I can imagine. But he said the one bright spot was getting to work with Miriam. He said she was great fun and kind of outrageous. She had a mouth like a sailor and no filters about what she would talk about and the things she would say, except that she was great with the little kid. Yeah. Uh, he said that she was so engaging and really sweet and friendly, just totally being grandma to this little girl. And Simon said that he told her, you're great with kids. And she said, can I tell you a secret? I loathe them. <laughs> Another fun fact, uh, she's been with her partner, Heather Sutherland, for over 54 years. Wow. 54 That's years. about how long my parents have been married. Yeah, works for them. You don't have to be crazy to live here, but it helps. <laughs> Speaking of children, though, Juliet Brewer provides the voice of Rosie. Oh. Rosie, to me, though, is like a younger version of Jenny from Oliver and Company. I thought you say Jenny from the block. That's kind of how I have her in my memory. Although, you know, this was the 20s, so she would be much, much older than Jenny. Sure. But um, Juliet played uh, Marianne in The Little Rascals and only had one other film role in 1997 before leaving the industry. Hmm. All I know is that I wanted to be just like Rosie when I was little and watching the movie. And I dreamed of being pulled on a sled by a dog like Jenna. I was going to say saved by a talking dog. Yeah. Yeah. But I had a Boston Terrier and no snow. So yeah, no. Mm. those dreams were dashed. Dashing through the snow. <laughs> Steel's sled team includes hopes and dreams. Jack Angel as Nikki. That's the like chow chow, the Oh, yeah. Reddish color chow chow. Yeah. Jack had one of those voices that you absolutely know if you watch cartoons in the 80s and 90s because he's been in everything. Mm -hmm. Everything. I only listed a couple things because it was just tons of credits, but sure. Spectacular Adventures of Casper and Hey Arnold were included in the list. All right. Um, and he was also the shark in Toy Story. No way. Yes. Yeah. The, the enemy movie of Balto, the rival, he had his voice in both, which I think that's kind of fun. Yeah, he couldn't lose. No, he couldn't. Danny Mann played Caltag, the like honey cream colored Chinook. Yeah. And I was absolutely flabbergasted to find that Danny is actually from our hometown. What? And he has a ton of recognizable credits dating back to the 70s. Uh, he was Ferdinand in Babe. Um, he was the dispatcher Ash in Fern Gully. Huh. He played Percy in Pocahontas. 
and just so many other pretty dark credits. Um, he was in Osmosis Jones, Ah, Real Monsters. Ah, Real Monsters. Ah. It's been a while since we've done that. Ah. Um, Danny Phantom. Shoot. Uh, he even provided the voice of Skippy on the now defunct Disney attraction Stitch's Great Escape. That's nuts. Where I worked for like three weeks. Also, another fun fact, Caltag is named after the Alaskan town of Caltag, the 15th checkpoint in the 1925 serum run. That is pretty cool. So they brought that I in. like that. I like the folding in of the universe on itself. Yes. Love that a lot. Rounding out the sled team, we have Robbie Rist as Star, who was based on an Alaskan clique, like the smaller, you know, dog. Mm -hmm. This breed actually wouldn't have been around until the 70s at the earliest, especially not in Alaska, but hey. Robbie Rist has a ton of credits, too. He was on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Batman the Animated Series. Wow. Uh, and I had to do a double take because, listener, and this may not matter to you as much as it matters to me, but he played Cousin Oliver on The Brady Bunch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going, who? It's exactly, and there are a bunch of people who are like, oh, my God, Cousin Oliver. What? Yeah. The Brady Bunch was a big part of my childhood. thought that was pretty wild. These little threads that we find as we mm -hmm. research this stuff. As for the pink ladies, I mean, Jenna's crew, <laughs> Sandra Dickinson played both Dixie, the Pomeranian, mm. and Sylvie, the Afghan hound. Both of them. That's wild. Yep. One person, both That's roles, cool. which I think it's great because they're both so like, they're such caricatures. So it makes right. sense to me that, you know, one person had that in their wheelhouse. Sandra also provided the voice for Rosie's mother. Oh. So she was working overtime on this movie. Yeah. Uh, Sandra, like much of this cast, had credits dating back to the 70s. She was recently the old boxing lady in Ready Player One and oh. was still acting as recently as 2022. And as for the characters, growing up, I always loved their names. <laughs> Dixie and Sylvie. Mm -hmm. Just I liked them. I thought they just fit so well. And they were characters that reminded me a lot of 101 Dalmatians. Oh, they do kind of fit you into know? that mold. Yeah. Yeah. They, even at the time, those characters felt nostalgic to me as like a five-year-old. I like that she voiced both because they're similar enough that it's like, they kind of have that clicky vibe of like, everybody's the same inside of the circle. And that's what makes Jenna stand out. Yes. Everybody's the same, but they approach life so different. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's great. Well, we're going to talk about them. I have, I have plenty to say about them. We will get there because Sweet. now it's time to... After how many weeks of waiting, dive into the story and the pretty darkness of Balto. Hell yeah. As is our custom, or <laughs> at least my custom, <clears throat> that I annoy you with every single time, I have divided the pretty darkness into a couple of categories so that we can explore the more mature themes in a nonlinear fashion. It's not annoying. It's organized. And I will try not to get us too turned around out there in the wilderness, but if you do get confused, just remember, not alone. as always, you're not alone. Lead the way. What I would like you guys to consider as we move through the story, whether or not I have the wherewithal to point it out, is all of the tiny moments in this film that come back to pay off later. Mm. There are so many little moments that then are re repackaged, called back. I think it's just so well done. And it's so, it's so much tighter and more cohesive than my analysis and haphazardness about it today is going to make it seem. So I just want to get that out there yeah. right out of the gate. It's just well done. <laughs> very, very well done. So well done. Bravo, David and Roger. <laughs> Bravo, Simon Wells. Bravo, Spielberg. So as I was attempting to get this all down on paper for you fine folks, I found myself with some great wordplay options in terms of titles for these sections. So the first section I have titled for you, Peril and Personality Disorders and Bears. Oh my. <laughs> 
to write us a bit from a narrative standpoint. It's pretty good. Though it's pretty contrary to how things happen in real life with the relay, et cetera, et cetera. You've heard part one. Mm-hmm. When this diphtheria epidemic hits, the town of Nome, in this fictional version, hold a race to determine who will be on the team to retrieve the antitoxin from Nanana. Despite the whole team working together to edge Balto out, he wins. And Steel, who never stops simultaneously putting Balto down, brown-nosing the humans, and patronizing Jenna, steps on Balto's paw when the humans come to inspect the winner, and they decide he can't be trusted because he might turn on them. True. Jenna is rightfully disgusted with Steel because, yeah, his priorities are... Steel? It doesn't matter who's on the team. As long as the medicine gets through, stop being such a glory hound. And though he pays her lip service, we all know it's just that, and he'll use any opportunity to steal the spotlight, even if sick children become the collateral damage. And that's pretty dark. Right. Just off the top, right on the surface, that is one of the darkest things we've discussed, is that he just simply doesn't care. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, his, his pride's going to get cares. in the way he of never, him. He never yeah. has a change of heart. He never has a moment where he's like, maybe this isn't the right thing. Like, he only has one goal, and he sticks to it. He's never redeemed in that. No, no. Even later, he, do- he doubles down on the whole, the whole thing. Yes, and exactly. When he's questioned, he doubles down. Yeah. But we'll get there. Though Steel's team does reach Nanana and retrieve the medicine, the blizzard proves too fierce, and they find themselves going in circles. And word travels uh, via Morris, the telegraph hound, to a late-night gathering of the dogs of Nome, much like in All Dogs or 101 Dalmatians. And it becomes clear that the children will die if the medicine doesn't arrive soon. Yes. Because they're building kitty coffins. Kitty coffins. And not kitty cats. Nope. Mm-mm. Children's kitty. coffins. Children's coffins. Yeah, you gotta get a head start because if all those kids die... You got to get them in the ground. Oh, God. But they would they I, see that's another thing. We'll get there. We'll get there. We have so much to say about that. They would have held off till spring. They wouldn't have. They would have waited. There's no way they could have gotten them into the ground in the middle of this winter. No, but they would have been in coffins, though. They had to right. go somewhere. They had to. Exactly. They, had to go they somewhere. would have had to be stored. Mm, got more coffin content <laughs> <laughs> to come. Hashtag coffin content. That's what you guys came here for, right? Balto and Boris, Boris urging Balto not to leave town, catch another yeah. glimpse of Rosie, sicker than so, ever, and let's go get the medicine. Boris changes his tune, claiming it would be nothing for him, a walk in the park compared to the mother country. The It'd old be country. like going on holiday <laughs> in the old country. They're just, I could quote every line of Boris's, honestly. Good, Balto! You took on the roughest, toughest, meanest tree in the forest, and you won. So Balto leads the crew out of town, marking trees to guide them. The crew being Muck, Luck, and Boris, uh, which is a common wayfinding technique, and it's used in many Native American cultures. Hmm. Of course, this trek is the way that we end up meeting the bear, the ice, and almost all of the most dreadful conditions yes. in this film in the first place. Nature is dangerous. Very. It's very dangerous out there. Very. Don't go alone. In, or if you're mean, just don't go at all. Well. <laughs> just depends on the day. Depends on the day and on the... All right, Boris, you got to save these children, okay? Circumstances. So the violence of that one scene with the bear... Dude, that threw me. ...was truly horrifying to my child self. Because Bears the in these bear, movies are so scary. Yes. Well, it's very much like that detached, demented version of the dinosaurs and we're back it's like yeah total disconnection from humanity basically um it is that feral animalistic primal i'm gonna get you they're all animals mm-hmm. but these are humanized anthropomorphized animals that can speak exactly this animal is like a deranged human who cannot communicate right it's like a human that has no soul is what it feels like yes in this 
in this world. That is another reason why it's so jarring is that we're in a world of animals, which is the status quo. Exactly. And then this is a step below that, which makes it just. It's just a beast. It's so jarring. It's a very scary bear. Supposedly, polar bears are more aggressive than grizzly bears in actuality. They are. But try telling that to muck and luck. (laughs) I know. I was thinking that at the end when they show up and they're like hugging Balto, congratulating him on his, you know, safe return and everything. I was like, these humans would be just absolutely horrified (laughs) to have these polar bears. I wrote that down walking up in the middle of town. I wrote that down too. (laughs) The fight with the bear though is incredibly suspenseful and it takes forever. I don't know if you noticed it the way that I did when I was a child, but it takes forever for the bear to appear out of the woods, even once you know something's coming. There's just this building anticipation of something bad, but you don't quite know what it is. A lot of suspense. And the fight scene itself lasts ages. Forever, I know. Like, forever. It goes on and on and on. And just when all hope does seem lost for Balto, Jenna joins them, because she's been tracking them all along, and between the two of them, they manage to get the bear onto some thin ice. Literally. More like a damn dog in distress, not a damsel, (laughs) being saved by the lady this time. And that's my favorite way to be saved. By a lady? Yeah. Fair enough. The moment where you see the bear slip into the pond very closely mirrors Mr. Hyde's slip beneath the floorboards in the page master, doesn't it? Yeah. Can you see it in your mind's eye? Mm Because I can because I saw it six times this week. Um, That slipping, falling, grasping was the same shot almost as Mr. Hyde. and had a very similar mm, vibe. I would go back and forth watching these movies because they came out really around the same time. Oh, yeah. So it would be very much... So it's almost, yeah, it was almost a cliche moment to have that beastly figure. Sucked down into the... Yeah, about to fall, reaching out. Reaching out at you. You know where I think they get the big frozen lake? Hmm. I think that's a reference to the sound Mm -hmm. that our boy Sapala crossed. It is. That was the main focus of the Togo movie. Was just getting across the sound. That was the big treacherous, like... Climax of the of that movie was him surviving. Reading the history, you know, I had to kind of glaze over it for purposes of getting all the information mm-hmm. in in part one. But reading the history, that was the they wouldn't allow anybody else to attempt it. Right. That was like Sapala has to do this because it's almost impossible, and he's the only one that could do it. You know, if it can be done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That movie was really interesting. It, it's a bit it feels a bit different from the history, but they still tied in the whole relay. They actually added the relay. Right. And they mentioned Balto and they mentioned Fox. Good. And they show the whole like. At the end, how, ba- how Balto gets the credit. Mm-hmm. They, they show that happen, how wow. it's unfair that Fox doesn't get it wow. and that Togo doesn't get it. Hmm. It was really interesting. I, I mean, I recommend watching it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I do want to see it. You should cut yourself some slack with the names, though, because um, they said Sepala, Sepala, and most of the Native Americans just called him Sep. Really? Because they all knew him. They're all like, you know, sled racers. So Sep. they just called him Sep yeah, for, as like a nickname. Their nickname. And when Kaysen mm-hmm. said his own name, he said Kassen. And then the rep- the reporter, I think, said Casson. Oh wow! So, so they were all over the place. So exactly right. Okay. So well, that doesn't you know, make me feel a little better. Thanks. <laughs> you should. Yeah, you should feel fun. It's almost like it's almost like language and names and all this is like made up. Everything's made up. Points don't matter. We try <laughs> our best. We want to respect people, but <laughs> we're doing our best. The only problem, though, with this lake that has seemingly saved their lives from this bear is that Balto gets trapped under the ice, too. One of my worst fears. that stressed me out more than almost anything else as a kid watching this movie. That moment and those moments while he's hanging in the balance and, you know, stuck on, like, I'd be holding my breath, too. Like, Mm -hmm. is he going to get out? Like, I, I would feel the tightness in my chest 
um, even thinking about it now, <laughs> yeah, like makes my chest hurt because the idea of being under a sheet of ice in a pond is nightmare. I mean, it's my nightmare. This was depicted a lot, I think, when we were younger because mm-hmm. it feels very similar to like quicksand. Mm-hmm. It feels like the kind of threat you could find yourself in in anywhere. Yeah, at meanwhile, any point. I live in Alabama, and I have never in my life seen. <laughs> frozen at least not to that degree frozen water (laughs) a frozen body of water not often right but it's almost like if you ever see a frozen lake don't go walk on it nope because you never know and i mean i knew that lesson i was fully aware of it yeah from this movie gotta lay flat you gotta crawl (laughs) distribution of weight stop drop and roll stop drop and roll stop drop and crawl there's a bomb or a tornado just get under your desk at school you'll be perfectly fine nothing can happen to you (laughs) We do linger in this moment for several more minutes than I felt like we needed to until Muck and Luck, who believe they can't swim, rescue Balto. They should really learn how to swim. They'd be good at it. (laughs) They'd be good at it. Oh, that was so cute to me. Balto. Balto's just so like tongue in cheek. Like, he'd be good (laughs) at it. You know, like. He's so good at like lifting up other people. I know. Don't get me started. They do find that Jenna is injured, though. And even though she would like to continue on this journey, she can't. Hmm. To his own detriment, Balto insists that Mukluk and Boris escort her home. And Boris reminds Balto. A dog cannot make this journey alone. But maybe a wolf can. I loved that. That was such a good line of dialogue to me. It was. It was so good. And it but it was so like it's so simple, right? Like it's it, it it's cliche, but it doesn't feel cliche. It feels it feels appropriate for the age group that's watching it, like to get that point and to make that mm-hmm. connection. You know what I'm saying? Well, the interesting thing about that that's so uplifting for kids is to learn that like everybody has things about themselves that they're ashamed of or mm-hmm. people people make fun of. Yeah. Um, especially when you're a kid. Everybody people has different make fun of your flaws. They point yep. things out that are flaws different. Flaws are just about differences. You. They're yeah. not flaws. Yeah. They they point it out as a flaw. It's right. just a difference. Yes. And so the the whole thing about Balto being half wolf. Everybody shames him for that when really that's his true inner strength mm-hmm. is the wolf part of himself. And so it's it's really cool yeah. to teach kids that like the different thing about you is what makes you special and yeah. can be what makes you strong mm-hmm. if you believe in yourself, if you believe in that as yeah. a strength. And it's conveyed so clearly and so succinctly. Like Yeah, it was so simple. And, and the other key, which we'll talk about this later, I think, too, but also accepting the parts of yourself that that you are bullied for that you don't like or whatever accepting those parts of yourself is where the strength is found that can be empowering too so yeah i agree i think that's really a strong point of this film it's you choosing to make yourself a a, a whole person mm-hmm. it's the you're shadow work you're doing whole. the shadow work you're looking at your shadow mm. and you're integrating it with your personality shadow work the physiological breathing <laughs> we're, <sighs> we're on one today y'all <laughs> god life is hard Life Thank God we have this podcast. We're, <laughs> we're here to make it a little less. Thanks less for listening. Hard. Thanks for being here, man. We're having, <laughs> what a moment! <laughs> Thanks, Thanks, David and Roger. You've enabled this even thirty years later. Aww. While this scene and these moments, this peril, this conflict with the bear, this—is he going to be okay? You know, we hang out in that space for a long time. Mm-hmm. But I would argue that Steele's complete and total lack of humanity. Which, yes, I know he's a dog. He's a dog. Like we were saying, just hang with me. This lack of humanity is so much more frightening than any of the peril could be. Right. He's like the bridge between the humanized animals and the bear. Mm-hmm. That's and totally dehumanized. He's in a different place entirely. He's the type of human that chooses to do 
bat mm-hmm. chooses to do wrong for personal, you know, gain. There are names for that, and we're going to name them. We're going to call them out. <laughs> From the earliest frames of the film, Steele's crazed eyes and the whimpering of the other dogs trying to keep up with him or trying to, you know, stay out of his way already set the tone. Mm-hmm. Even in that opening race, they're racing when we begin the film. Right. Balto yeah. doesn't outpace Steel for glory or to prove anything. And he certainly doesn't care about winning the way that Steel does, which you see this in the film. You see Steel immediately ready to gloat and pose for the cameras. Yeah. yeah. In fact, Balto puts himself into harm's way right up top simply to secure Rosie's hat. Her mushroom's hat. But also, he still only ran the last like fifty sure. yards. But it, it wasn't most. so much he. It wasn't so much that he was injured. He hadn't in the race been going twenty miles. It wasn't yeah. about that. It was just right. about him. Right. He outpaced Steele at the very end, and people were like, "Oh, Steele, you might be losing your edge or whatever." Yeah. You know. But it's like Balto didn't do it to win the race or to be in the race or no, to. No, no. That's my. That's kind of my point in this. Honestly, is that Balto wasn't in the race. He wasn't there. To, he yeah, wasn't subjecting glory. himself to the race. He was not. He was enjoying he was watching on a different, the race. Exactly. He was on a different. He just wanted to watch it. He was on a different plane entirely. There was no right. intention that he had to be part of this race. It did not matter mm-hmm. to him. What mattered to him was getting the hat for Rosie. It's not even like a reluctant hero. It's like an ignorant. <laughs> yeah, like a, I'm, and that's kind of the like, theme what's that the we're going to go that? back like, to. It's it's a unaware. Even he is so un he's so unaware of all the drama. He's so f- he's so high above it that it's not even on his radar. And we talked about that a little bit with David and Roger. And I think we're mm-hmm. going to get into some of that again here soon. So like disengaged with his ego. Yeah, I think it's because he's been put down his whole life mm-hmm. for just for who he is. So he has no pride. He is yeah. He has no self pride. Mm-hmm. The contrast between Steele's narcissistic, egotistical motivation and Balto's pure heart is a pretty classic hero-villain dichotomy. But like you're saying, like we were talking about with Dave and Roger and like we've been saying over and over, Balto's heroism has this understated, underscored tone. Mm-hmm. And it makes Steele's selfish, conniving ways feel even bigger and badder and more sinister. Right. Because this contrast exists. Because of the contrast, right. You need light to understand dark. You need dark mm-hmm. to understand light. You got to have both. Mm-hmm. to see them clearly. So returning to the scene from before, when Balto tracks down Steele's team, their musher is unconscious after a nasty sled accident. Mm. And all the other dogs are clamoring around Steele. Looks like he's hurt bad, Steele. What are we going to do now, Steele? They're all looking to Steele for the answer. And we see the ever-assured Steele at his he's weakest, shaking. cracking under the pressure and totally useless in their time of need. Yep. He's put himself on this pedestal. He's become this hero in their eyes that he wants to be. And when it comes time to actually lead, yep. to actually be a leader. In a real way that matters. In a, in a significant, meaningful way, he completely falls apart. Mm-hmm. And if I hadn't already fallen in love with Balto during the Northern Lights, which we will get to soon, the deal was sealed for me when he took on this crazed narcissist which honestly the most dangerous kind of narcissist because he's caged back into a corner and poised to bite in this right, circumstance. Yeah. You called him a malignant narcissist. He, he is a malignant narcissist. He's, and he, he's also crazed. Like he's, and he, he's already that, right? Like he's that at a baseline. And then you put him into yes. this situation where a normal person might also be kind of cagey and scary and a little bit unpredictable. When his desperation level increases, because he's not in survival mode it's not for him. Like they're all in survival mode. Like how do we get get home and not die? Yes. His survival mode is 
how do I keep my maintain intact. my reputation, my mm-hmm. sense of power and control over these dogs? Yes. Everyone else. And and he feels that slipping away. He, that is almost more valuable, how do I valuable to him. How do status as top dog? Yeah, that's almost more valuable to him. Like his yeah. perceived status is more important than his life or their lives or the lives of the kids in Nome. It's kind of like, if I can't get us home, we're not getting we're not home. home. Mm-hmm. And that attitude, I would argue, is one of the darkest, scariest things that we've covered or delved into. And if you You're know right. anyone like this in life, I... I'm very, very deeply sorry <laughs> because it is, it's a personality disorder. It's disordered thinking yeah. and it's very dangerous and harmful for everybody in their path. Yeah. All right, follow me. I can lead you home. We don't need your help. Balto approaches this situation so calmly, rationally, and matter-of-factly, which is saying something because even the most poised people up against a adversary, a situation like this, it's not easy. It it can make you doubt yourself. It can this gaslighting type mm-hmm. of a personality can literally make you doubt your own reality and your own self. For sure. And Balto never falls into that. Balto, who is simply grateful to have just found them with the medicine yeah. intact, he's like, that's a relief to him in and of itself. Right. And when he makes a move to lead them home and shows them how he's marked the trees, which I thought about this when I was rewatching again. He shows them what he did to mark the trees to get home. This emphasizes that his only concern is the medicine because he's giving 0% of his thoughts or energy to like strategizing against steel. Right, right. Like that could be a bargaining chip. Like nobody else knows that he's marked the way. Yeah, you need me to get home. You need me right. to get he's home. Saying, They'll kill me. You if know, he, I can't make it back with you, here's how you here's get how home. Here's how you get home because yeah. the medicine is most important. So he's yes. already in that backseat of I don't matter here. I'm not, I'm not what's important here. You know, the medicine is. Mm -hmm. And I was, as I was thinking about it, I was like, just his actions in doing that speaks volumes to his character as a character. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, you know, he's, he's not putting any energy into not only strategizing against steel, but like self-preservation. He's unconcerned whether or not he makes it home. Right. Totally. He just wants the medicine there. And not in like a, (laughs) not in like a detached, dangerous way, but in like a practical not like this steel. Is, this is bigger than you and me. There kind are of way. two, two types Neither of dogs. Neither of them care. Look, there <laughs> are two wolves. Two wolves inside of every person. <laughs> which one wins? Which which wolf will be victorious? <laughs> the one who help, helps the other wolves. The one and who they helps all gang the up on the one home, honestly. wolf that sucks and nobody likes. Yes. <laughs> This dialogue, all of this dialogue, the back and forth between Balto and Steel, I rewatched this scene more than almost any of them, I think, because I mm. really appreciated the way that it was done. Steel, his attitude toward the whole thing, and you can lay in quotes as you see fit here. I'll get us back. I'm the lead dog. I'm in charge. But then let me take back the medicine. They're getting sicker. Balto says, okay, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not knocking you there. Sure. You can be the lead dog, whatever suits your, be you whatever, know, whatever you, you need, need to be. be exactly. Yeah. Be whatever you need to be. That's fine. Yeah. He doesn't say you're not in charge. He doesn't say you're not acting like it. Like none of Balto's ego comes to play. He just says, I'm not dealing with it. He this. doesn't even <laughs> try to like explain the situation. He's just like, no, I have to just it, take this home. Cause they don't have time. You know what I mean? No, there's no time. Touch that box. And I'll tear you apart. Steel, I'm not leaving without that medicine. Mm-hmm. There's nothing else that he's engaging with. 
And as Steel is continuing to de- to berate him, to put him down, the other dogs are starting to kind of narrate and gang up. And as has happened before to Balto, mm-hmm. he's been bullied by these dogs. We've seen it happen. Again, there is a callback to the alleyway when the dogs are bullying Balto right at the start. Right. He's facing the same situation again, which a lot of people would have a lot of trouble with from like a trauma survival standpoint, but he's still the voice of reason. Since when do you need a pedigree to help someone? You know, there are all these very Mm -hmm. reasonable, rational bids for peace, and they all fall on deaf ears. So Balto tries one more method to cut through the bullshit and steals ego to appeal to whatever is left of a regular being, (laughs) I'll just say being, human or otherwise, Mm. inside of him. Let me help you. This is his appeal to, I don't know if you see it. I don't know if you're with it enough to be able to see it, but you're right. Let me help you. (laughs) Right. And even that doesn't or isn't successful. Mm -hmm. This leads us into another fight scene, Um, though. I find it hard to call it a fight when Balto pretty much refuses to be on the offensive. He doesn't even defend himself. I don't want to fight. Steel and Balto are circling as Kaltag and Nikki are narrating. Um, though Steel roughs Balto up pretty good, Balto continues to get knocked down <laughs> and get up again. Never going to keep Balto down. <laughs> and as the shreds of Steel's facade are slipping away, his blatant disregard for the antitoxin becomes more and more apparent. Mm-hmm. You see the tides with Star, Kaltag, and Nikki begin to turn. Hey, that stuff is fragile, dude. What's with Steel? All Balto wants to do is help. And I'll remind you again, we did get a glimpse of even Steele's team's disloyalty, which was another setup that paid off in dividends very early in the movie in the alleyway right. when they're bullying Balto. And as soon as Steele leaves earshot, that son of a he is the most malicious, the most disgusting, the most obnoxious, yeah. the most revolting, the most repulsive, and the most no lapdog. <laughs> I was surprised by that, but I was I like, know. okay, okay. But it, it underscores that idea that it's, it's true for like most bully types that you see in life and in fiction. Lackeys are usually only lackeys out of their own fear, not respect right. of the bully. They're not uh, they're not wholly bad. Right. Like Steel, they're just going to follow the leader. Because right. that's and what they've been trained to do. They're in survival mode themselves. That's right. that's really all that it is. It doesn't come mm-hmm. down to respect. I'm not saying there aren't instances where it does come down to respect. I think well, I was going to say maybe Shenzi respected Scar, but that's a whole other debate <laughs> that you could have and I don't know that that would even be true. <laughs> because so often it's hard for anybody that recognizes this malignancy to respect mm-hmm. truly that other person. Right. And we see it play out here. Mm-hmm. They said the quiet part out loud. <laughs> sure did. And speaking of Lion King, the whole thing feels sort of Scar versus Simba for a minute there. Dude, absolutely. But the linchpin comes in in the form of Jenna's scarf, which she had shared with Balto. To keep him warm. Steel grabs this in an attempt to deal the fatal blow to Balto, but instead, Balto ducks out of the scarf and Steel plummets down the ravine. The team is shell-shocked, but they ready Balto for the lead harness, and they set off with the sled and the unconscious musher <laughs> and the medicine. <laughs> I love and this And they part. leave Steel behind. I love this video game. <laughs> you love that guy, don't you? Mush. Go. Go. Get us home. <laughs> Much to my child's self-surprise, though, Steel survived this fall somehow. Go ahead, wolf dog. You'll never get home. I'll make sure of that. And not only does he miraculously walk away from a fall that we have seen kill characters in other movies, we've watched it happen 
and somehow it didn't happen to Steel. Just Mufasa. Steel instead goes into overdrive. He is now unencumbered by the sled and its responsibility, and he is free to be as vile as he pleases. Dude. So he goes forward using that information that Balto gave him on good faith against them and marks all the trees in his path, effectively ensuring not only the death of Balto and his so-called friends, yep. but everyone who is sick and waiting in He goes completely deranged. Yeah. Like he lost his ever- Loving mind out there in those woods. That's pretty. Oh my God. Dark. <laughs> Run it this way. Hop it over here. Move the wrong way. This scene stuck out to me as a kid. It sticks out to me now. It is, you think that somebody has reached the peak of their evilness. Or, yeah. You know, you, you think that somebody's at the brink of like, going to change because if they don't it's going to get them killed yeah and it doesn't and like you were saying he doubles down he goes back for more (laughs) it's unreal yeah it's unreal but then again unfortunately all too real because this is a personality disorder that we are watching in in real time what's the phrase he's too something short of a another thing Southern is. Southern. <laughs> he's he's too something see, short on. of another thing. I know what you're thinking of. He's too Southern slang for crazy. Let me look this up. <laughs> nuts short of a nut house. Like he's too nuts short of a nut house. Is that know. it? That's a that's two, a guess. Two, okay, twenty four Southern expressions for the crazy. Hottoddy.com give you some credit. Hottoddy.com as crazy as a Betsy bug. <laughs> it's not what I was expecting. Right out of the gate. As crazy as an outhouse rat. Ooh. Crazier than a dog in a hubcap factory. <laughs> <laughs> Never heard that. Crazier than an outhouse fly. Outhouse fly is good. As crazy as a run over cat. Paints a picture. Ugh. Crazy as a shot at rat. Man, all these rats and flies. Crazy as a soup sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> Why can I see you adopting that? I can see you adopting it and put it in your head for later. <laughs> <laughs> crazy as a sprayed cockroach. Oh, well... Mm. He's about half a bubble off plum. <laughs> He's nuttier than a squirrel turd. <laughs> All right, here we go. He's two bricks short of a load. There you go. He's lost his vertical hold. His vertical hold. Like he can't be upright. He's not in it. He's not with it. He's gone. No, I like sure. it. I'm just trying to Your guess is it. as good as mine. He's lost. I, I like that phrase. I've lost my vertical hold. He's got a head full of stump water. <laughs> yeah. Nuttier than a five pound fruitcake. Yeah, I've heard that one. That's the only one so far that I've actually heard. <laughs> Used. Not here than a porta potty at a peanut festival. <laughs> We've still got more to say about Steel. Steel the show. <laughs> this is, I'm just going to say right now, this conversation about Steel is every bit of validation and vindication that baby Kaylin needed because everything about this character, other than his charming voice, made me so <laughs> mad. <laughs> Just angry. I mean, I like that neurodivergent social justice need for social justice was very, very strong in me as a child, even more so probably than than it is now. And it's pretty strong now. Right. Because you see him getting away with the things. Yes. Like you see him stomping on Balto's foot. You see him him throwing the link of sausages onto Balto's neck. Baby Kalen was just so- The injustice of it all. Angry at the injustice of it all. So I, I feel really good that we're able to now identify his personality disorders and recognize that, of course, he was in the wrong. And um, For sure. I was going to say cheaters never win, but that's not true. It, it does still happen. It's just, again, 
they kind of get what's coming. Cheaters never win. Cheaters win all the Cheaters time. Cheaters win all the time. And that's one of the worst parts about of life when you uh, grow life. up and learn that. Balto? Steel! When Steel arrives home to the <laughs> gathering of the hounds, all the dogs gathered together in the boiler room at night, they're already taking every opportunity to snipe at Balto. Mm -hmm. And Steel plays up this hero act, frozen and frostbitten, telling the other dogs, including Jenna, that while he literally carried the frozen team as far as he could, they've all died. Doesn't say it in so many words, but he says it. Well, one by one, they fell frozen he says that he went on dragging the medicine all alone and when balto found him he demanded to take the medicine himself he looks at jenna and says you know he, he just wanted so much to be a hero in your eyes steel says god it pisses me off that so balto then couldn't handle the crate and slipped on <laughs> ice tumbling over a cliff which oh. was closer to the truth than he uh, maybe bargained for there of course he then uses Jenna's scarf as evidence to back up Ryan. all of his claims. My bandana. He made me promise to take care of you, Jenna. <laughs> I, as a child, just simply God. can't tell you the rage that I was filled with in this scene. It I just—I know so, so many guys like this. Ridiculously angry. I do too. That's why it made me. That I know angry. so. I have known so many dudes in my life. It like this boils my blood in a way that few things could or do. And it's not so much the dog on the screen that I'm watching in fiction. Although as a kid, that was more the no, idea. It's the reflection, it's the reflection of, of real people, real humanity. Or yeah. lack thereof. Exactly. Yeah. If only this was pure invention. I if was only this was fiction. So thankful every single time I ever watched Jenna call him out on his lies, which she did, and Thank God on no Jenna. uncertain terms. Thank dog for Jenna. But here's where we need to take a moment to call these personality disorders what they are. Let's do it. And I think we've covered enough ground now for you all to agree about the narcissism. It's definitely not a hard sell. <laughs> covered enough ground. That's a sled, it sledding is. It is indeed. Pun. Thank you. Words. Yes. Thanks for pointing that out. You're welcome. But you'll have to tell me what you think about this, Christian. Okay. Steel, to me is more than just a narcissist. Mm -hmm. He is on the borderline of sociopath. Yeah. Yes. According to verywellmind.com, someone with narcissistic personality disorder will display an excessively heightened sense of importance, a strong need to be admired, or an entitlement to special treatment, which might as well be describing steel. Sure. Other times, a person with this disorder may have dreams of wielding far-reaching power. Mm -hmm. Narcissists don't care if they have to lie and scheme their way to a desired position. They're typically unconcerned about the needs of their partners in romantic relationships, and they may feel slighted when they don't receive praise or admiration for their achievements. Away from the view of others, however, when a narcissist is looking within, they may experience heightened feelings of shame, helplessness, and anger when difficulties crop up that interfere with a projected vision of themselves. Narcissist motives are rooted in magnifying their importance or accomplishing some goal to that effect. It's steel. Basically, personality description of steel. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of people. <laughs> and unfortunately, more people than I uh, wish. It's a lot of people in corporate environments. It's a lot of yeah. people in politics. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of people who are just out grabbing for- To get ahead. You know, power and money. Sociopathy takes these behaviors one step further. Sure. Exploiting people purely for their own gain or even pleasure, which I do believe steel exhibits sometimes. Yeah. 
Sociopaths are known for dramatic or volatile interactions with others, which Steele has in spades. Mm-hmm. And perhaps the most troubling symptom, and the one that I think pins Steele in this category the most, is that they show little to no remorse. Right. I'll remind you that while not all narcissists are sociopaths, all sociopaths are narcissistic. Right. Quoting from Very Well Mind. It's difficult to capture an exact statistic, but narcissism is believed to be found in 1-15% to of the U.S. population. And sociopathy is even more rare at 1-4%. to But males are Hmm. 3 to 5 times more likely to be diagnosed with sociopathy (sighs) than females. I believe that. Steele checks almost all of the boxes. Um, Really, the only box that they list as a symptom of sociopathy that Steele does not check is that he... They, they have a lot of trouble with the law. They have a lot of run-ins with the law. They'll often have criminal records, right. et cetera, because they have no respect for it. Right, right. Steele doesn't exactly get in trouble with the law. Um, he more brown noses them, the, the law being the humans, I guess, really in this case. He knew how to not get caught. He knew how not to. Mm-hmm. So he's a very intelligent sociopath. Right. Um, and you can still manage your own bullshit and be like good in a corporate environment or like you good in be politics good in certain because environments. you have to be cutthroat to do certain things and you have to not care mm-hmm. and it can make you a good like cog in the machine but depending depending potentially i'm not saying across the board 100 percent. the thing is inevitably when somebody is grabbing that hard for their own attention gain wealth etc it stands to reason that this could be good for those around them in a like business type setting. If you're that desperate to get ahead, if you're that desperate to do whatever it is, it could benefit you financially, you know? Michael Jordan. Mm. I was thinking of athletes. Mm. Still just an athlete. Yeah, I guess Who's given way too much power and responsibility, Mm. which most of the athletes in this country are given way too much power Michael Jordan is a a narcissist? He's a a, uh, textbook sociopath. Whoa. I didn't know this. Yeah. Look it up. I will. Never looked into that before, but- Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that a lot of times we fall into this like misconception. Well, there's two ends of the spectrum. I think on one end of the spectrum, you know, there are some people that go through life diagnosing everybody around them as a malignant narcissist, mm. which everyone can't be. That's the thing. I have known a lot in my life, but everyone can't be. The other end of that spectrum is that you're you can either overinflate or underinflate the presence of these personality disorders in the world. Right. And your experience on it is going to be based on just that, your experience. So mm-hmm. it's hard to put those percentages on it and say, well, if only one to four percent of the population are sociopaths, what are the odds that I know like four of them? You know, and the yeah. chances are you probably don't. That's the thing. It's like lots of narcissists, but it's, it's tough to not as many um, sociopaths. Nobody can diagnose anybody that is not a mental health professional. But yeah, they tend to be, you know, I don't know, serial killers. Right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yes. That's like what that. I was going to say. Like it's this CEOs, what I was kind of trying to get at and fell apart there in the middle. But there's this misconception that all sociopaths are these criminals that Ted Bundy's that you see on. And it's like, not necessarily. There is a scale. They can be functioning people. They're they just. Can. Exactly. That's my point. It's possible for them to be functioning it's people. Possible. Often they aren't. Often they don't fit within our society's laws and rules and regulations. But sometimes they do. I would think that somebody like that would make a really good like detective, mm-hmm. burdened to find, right? You know, solve these crimes, like work for the if, FBI. If your ego is tied into something that's positive, basically, or yeah. tied into something that's going to be a net positive for society. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe what makes you know a good detective is like autism or something. I have no idea. <laughs> no, I think in a lot of cases, I think neurodivergence is a superpower that, that just nobody neurodivergence. Talks about. <laughs> <It's> neurodivergence, <laughs> and I'll get on the soapbox about that all day, every day. But I think. 
our society isn't built for people who are neurodivergent, but there are certain no. professions, instances, a lot of different things that greatly benefit from having that divergent perspective. It's not built for anybody in any kind of extreme. Short people, tall people. <laughs> it's true. We don't like extremes. We don't like, the, we don't like the ends of the spectrum. We like it all to fit in the average. And that's not realistic. That doesn't happen. No. I say we like I'm part of it. I'm not part of that society. I'm on the other end. I'll drink to neurodivergence. Here, here. Twisted as he was, Steele was unstable through and through. And he was always destined to self-destruct. Always. As we discussed with David and Roger, the elements and nature itself really become the main villain in this storyline. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it's pretty unstable too. Very unforgiving. This film actually taught me what an avalanche was. <laughs> and it taught me that loud noises can cause them. Yeah, yeah, the which echoing. caused me to hold my breath driving through the Smoky Mountains with my parents as a child, which is like the smallest mountain range in the U.S. basically. I don't know. If <laughs> it's probably not a correct statistic, but it's certainly nothing like the Rockies are you know, taller. Praying for no avalanches today. It was the most today. mountainous terrain that I had been on to that point. And yeah, I was like just like we should be really quiet like the car needs to be really quiet you know i was very very concerned about Put the car in quiet well. mode dad <laughs> yeah for real i specifically remember driving through like colorado or something i don't know what mountains that would be but the rockies colorado the rockies. rockies and literally the rocks everywhere up on the hills and everything mm -hmm. and then being like rock slides do happen all the time mm -hmm. they can push your car right off this cliff and i'm like yep. why are we talking about this we're driving past the also, rocks that could also slide. why are we here <laughs> why are we doing this yeah that would be more my question Just putting these irrational fears in my little like seven-year-old brain mm -hmm. for no reason but it really isn't irrational is the thing it's not clearly. that irrational that's the scary part <laughs> avalanches happen all the time i just watched society of the snow it can happen twice in one day mm. uh speaking of the cave though while we're on the subject when Star is looking at the ice formations in the cave that like warp his appearance, the stalagmites, yeah, yeah. ones coming from the stalagmites bottom. Stalagmites from the bottom. I was wrong mm -hmm. last time. I caught that from the episode. <laughs> stalagmites, stalagmites come stalactites up. Stalagmites come down. Yeah. But as Star is looking at them, uh, one of them like work, like a like a funhouse mirror warps his body and yeah. makes him look exactly like E.T. Yeah. <laughs> imitating E.T.'s voice. And Simon Wells explained that this was obviously just a gag that he came up with while he was storyboarding the ice cave sequence. But then after he had, you know, put it together, he was anxious about how Steven Spielberg would react when it was pitched to him. Oh, yeah. Um, but luckily, Spielberg loved it and allowed Wells to keep it well, in. Well, he loves putting his own stuff in his own stuff. So. Right, which I'm sure was part of Wells' reasoning for, hey, this makes sense. Because, yeah, he he's very self-referential. You're just going to stroke that ego, man. <laughs> stroke that ego hey if i had as many hits as spielberg if i had that kind of reach and power i'd be putting references to everything i'd ever done and everything i ever did yep you know forever and ever amen luckily for almost every terrifying perilous scene we get we have an abundance of goose puns like people bumps yes and at least one yo mama joke are you ready for my next section yeah, yeah. <laughs> my next section is titled heritage parentage and yo mama. And, yo mama. and this is going to be a shorter segment, I promise, but you got to stick with me. Look out. <gasps> All right. Good catch, Balto. 
In the confusion left in Steel's wake, Balto and the team take a really terrible tumble in efforts to save this slipping antitoxin. Um, honestly, their tumble maybe was even worse than Steel's. The slipping antitoxins sounds like a, like a lo-fi band. It'd be a song title. Slipping antitoxin. Sure, whatever. I think so. I don't know. I could see that popping up on my Spotify as I'm trying to write. <laughs> By the band, the antitoxins. There you go. Or just the artist antitoxin. Diphtheria. Ooh, that's... <laughs> Diphtheria is the band's Ooh. name. The band is Diphtheria. Yeah. The, the song is Slipping Antitoxin. <laughs> God damn, this is good. I could see this on my Spotify. I really like y'all when I can get Christian to concede that my <laughs> fictional weird ass thing that we came up with, <laughs> that my version so is right, like diphtheria. definitively correct, and his version is definitively incorrect. <laughs> I really appreciate when that happens in life. It's one of my favorite moments. Did you just say my version was incorrect? Well, you, you said your version was incorrect. I just agreed that yours was better as I make mine incorrect. It's a fictional. There's nothing. There's no uh, right or wrong. I, but that's what I'm saying. I know that there's no right or wrong, but usually when you and I land on some, and I mean, I'll do the same thing. There are definitely moments where I concede to you and say your fictional thing is right. What you're describing is a brainstorm session where we found <laughs> the perfect result of the thing <laughs> we're trying to figure out. Yeah. I love to brainstorm with you. It's the best. <laughs> So Balto has now fallen off the edge of the cliff with the antitoxin and the rest of his team. And it's hmm. very scary. Yeah. But what comes from this, the moment between Balto and the white wolf oh, yeah. is a thing of beauty. It really is nice. It's never really said for sure whether this wolf existed in reality or in Balto's mind. But one thing I know is that I was transfixed as a child. Mm -hmm. um, and even watching for my final pass this week, so like the sixth time that I've watched this movie, yeah. I got teary seeing Balto's like tired, defeated eyes mm -hmm. come up out of the snow. And just when you genuinely begin to think that the antitoxin is ruined, the kids are dead, everything is awful, and they're snowed under, <laughs> this gorgeous white wolf appears from the abyss and gives Balto a howl of encouragement, which guides the camera to pan to the still unbroken crate of antitoxin mm -hmm. somehow. It was his own spirit animal. You could say that. If you will. And this encounter gives Balto just the push he needs to embrace his heritage, mm -hmm. embrace his whole self, his ancestors. and to be the hero he was destined to be. Just like we were talking about earlier, his perceived weakness or his... Yes projected weakness that other people tell him is a weakness is his greatest inner strength. The white wolf feels like a really cool way to tie in a lot of what's lacking or missing about the Native American influence yeah. um, on this town, on this history in general. I will say- We don't get uh, to highlight it a whole lot. It's we don't. Kind of, you know, it's there, but it's, it's muted. It's understated. It's not really highlighted or emphasized in any meaningful way. Right. Like it could be. In some ways, Togo does a pretty good job of having characters that represent those okay. figures, like, those yeah, people. better representation. It's better, but I do like the white wolf as something of like I, you know, was saying it's his spirit animal, like mm -hmm. that Native American concept of like the spirit guide, mm -hmm. like the totem animal, which we talked a little bit about during um, oh, the skeleton man. Yeah, it's been a while um, now. Her her dreams of yes. you know the rabbit. Yes, it's almost like you're discovering the strength of your ancestors, of your heritage, your identity. You know your spirit. Yeah. It's an external projection of what you actually have inside of you. I think that's a really good point. To me, it could have been even more heavy handed somehow to, to make that connection, to make that stronger. But in it, mm -hmm. in the way that it does exist, it is a beautiful moment. And I think it is a beautiful moment. It definitely it really has those undertones 
if not overtones. Truly. I think it's a perfect moment. But where does Yo Mama come in? I know you're asking yourself. (laughs) In the animation source interview that I talked about in part one, Simon Wells was asked about Balto's lineage, whether the wolf came from his mother or his father's side. And in response, Simon said, Simon says, Simon said, I always kind of assumed that Balto's father was a wolf and that his mother had been a working sled dog. There's probably a Romeo and Juliet style prequel in there, but we never state that for certain. So they don't ever say one way or the other. But in his mind, the director of this film, his mom was a sled dog and his dad was a wolf. So then the mama joke. While it's correct that they don't state this outright, there's a joke that if you blink, you'll miss early in the film in that Mm, alleyway scene. Got a message for your mother. As Steele and his gang are terrorizing Balto, kicking snow in his face, they add insult to injury. Oh, Balto. I've got a message for your mother. And they all howl along, mocking and leering. It feels really mature. It does. As a joke. And knowing how Simon Wells feels about Balto's heritage and parentage it is a yo mama joke right like, that is the I'm a wolf I'm howling I'm howling to get the attention of yo mama like I, you know <laughs> what I mean like that's the that's the punchline so knowing Simon Wells yeah. thoughts on the subject plus the setup of this joke it's a pretty mature joke it's pretty, for this <laughs> movie understated and also, it proves that's the intent right overtly sexual joke yes but all of this was <laughs> undone or at least made more confusing with the advent of the unsanctioned Balto sequels because apparently those films decided of their own accord that the white wolf that we see visit Balto is actually his mother oh and I think because that was what was in the zeitgeist from the sequels and I did see the sequels at some point in my life I kind of absorbed that assumption when I was younger Hmm. so while the joke still basically works on a base level like I got a message for your mom because she's a wolf and we're wolves howling at each other, you know, but it's not yeah. it works better the, in the same yeah. if she's the wolf. And again, from the director's own admission, the intention is that she was not. Right. So, right. frankly, I would have rather seen the Romeo and Juliet prequel. I think we can just pretend like the sequel doesn't exist. These, those <laughs> movies aren't real. They're not canon. Well, yeah. They're not the, canon. The fact that they're not canon, it's kind of the Casper situation. We're back in the same boat that we were in with Casper right. because the sequels changed the narrative and the canon of the story and that makes everything a little bit complicated yeah no we're just focused on the uh so the original i'm gonna choose to believe and listener you can believe what you will and i i love you know there are references in the sequels apparently to balto's mother and you know she's named after snow the inuit word for snow i think is like what mm. her name is and it's like very sweet and he talks about his earliest memories of his mom and it's like nice or whatever sure but I'm going to choose to believe that these are separate entities so that I can still have my Yo Mama joke in this movie. <laughs> no, that's not his mom. That's his great, 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 great grandfather. <laughs> Thankfully, however these fictional genetics worked out, what Balto missed out on in parental love through his life, however they were separated, is supplemented quite well by Boris. Sweet Boris, And I yeah. think it's fair that we give him his credit here because not only is he a father figure to Balto, he also somehow found himself as an uncle to two polar bear cubs. I know. Who he hates. Reluctant. <laughs> he's reluctant, but he's solid. Yeah. What a guy. What a goose. What a goose. What a, what a silly goose. goose. I really love, there are so many quotes that I have listed here, and you're going to have a time choosing quotes to lay in, and I apologize, editing Christian. 
but several jokes that I really liked. Boris, did you ever think maybe you're the reason the other geese fly south? If only your feet were as fast as your mouth. <laughs> pretty good it's just the the banter and the rat-a-tat between them i just really like it it's very good and then later on balto says wish me luck and boris says i don't wish you luck i wish you sense i wish you sense which i'm sure every parent can relate to (laughs) i was thinking that'd be something we would say from now on i don't wish you luck i wish you sense (laughs) you luck i wish you sense (laughs) i can absolutely see us uh, adopting that into our our vocabulary yeah truly although the adult humans are mostly absent from or unaware of how things unfold on our friends and they all look the same i can't tell them apart they're all very generic adult people but you can bet that they had adult supervision by way of goose who else should you bring on the wild goose chase but the goose (laughs) so we have approached our third and final section and that is inoculations and innuendo Inuit, though. I'm aware that those things don't exactly go together, but for the sake of alliteration and the last few things on my pretty dark list, most of the rest of our conversation will have to do with at least one of those two things. Sweet. Savvy? Savvy. Okay. Are you making a reference to my bandana, man? I actually was. (laughs) I looked up and it seemed right. Yeah, I'm I'm bandana Christian today. He's bandana Christian. He has many forms, but bandana Christian. um, I've had some, we've had some good times. You've known bandana Christian. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, often bandana Christian, I think it's because you wear it a lot in the summer times. I do. Bandana Christian often turns into third beer Christian. That's true. Yeah. You know, like often when I get to hang out with third beer Christian, Mm -hmm. he has on the bandana. Right. So I wear it in the summer because I don't like the heat, but I can pretend to be a pirate. And you can be a pirate. It also keeps my hair out of my face because my hair is long. And also Mm -hmm. I went to the trampoline park today with my nephew. And that's why I'm wearing the bed. <laughs> that's mostly it. To, we now know the whole story of your Friday. Jumping on a trampoline all morning. I am, I am beat. Appreciate that. I had to put him in jail a hundred times. Of course. And you know what? He escapes every time. Can you believe it? Those darn nephews. What are you going to do? They do that. <laughs> I know we got into the details of diphtheria in part one, but what we haven't yet talked about other than addressing it briefly with David and Roger and earlier when I teased it and probably annoyed all of you to pieces is how it was portrayed on screen for our child eyes. Yeah. The fear and defeat conveyed via increasingly desperate telegram. Ooh, yeah. The way that they mm. told us the light outside of the hospital would function as the beacon of hope. I take and umbrage. The subsequent extinguishing of said beacon while Rosie's parents watched. I take umbrage with this freaking lamp and this telegraph mm. operator. Mm-hmm. This is uncalled for and not okay. I'm very I upset agree. about it. <laughs> All right, let, I'm gonna I'm gonna lay in the soundbite here. Sure. Yep. As long as there's hope for those kids, I'll keep this lit. It'll guide the team back. The whole point of the light in folklore, in history, to keep hope. is to keep the hope and to light the way as a beacon mm-hmm. for the lost souls to find their way home. Mm-hmm. If you extinguish the light, how are they gonna you make it? Extinguish the hope of them finding their way home. It's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. And as I watched it, I knew it was gonna be meaningful to you. I'm I knew so that was mad. one of the darkest, no pun intended, moments of the film because it is that important. We've all seen the lovely bones. We've oh ho ho ho. Have we not? I've been thinking. I have been thinking about that movie. Yeah. So much lately. I'm sorry. I don't know why. I'm really sorry for I you. I don't know why. I watched it at a movie theater in Mississippi when I was in college or- I will never watch it again. Oh my God. Yeah. I, can, I have only seen it that one time. Mm-mm. I went home- Can't do it. Thinking about it. And lately it's been coming back into my head. It's so weird that you say that. And it's a radical face lyric. Keep a candle burning in the window. I'm almost home. And they didn't- I love it. I love that symbolism. I know you do. You've read I the know, story I, I wrote I about that. I have about the candle 
in the window. This is felt personal to you. Yeah, it was a personal affront. <laughs> he did it to me on purpose. It was an attack. And uh, I, yeah, yeah, I'm upset about it. David and, and Roger did it to you. <laughs> you know what? David they and said Roger, they were thinking of us. This is the one thing I should have asked about in the interview when I didn't say much yeah. of anything at all. What I should have said was, you know what, guys? I need you to answer. Why? For something. But, you know, we know why. We know why. And know it why. comes back later to, to play in. Yeah. So we'll talk about that very, very soon. But what we haven't yet really talked about fully is the building of the children's coffins. Lord have mercy. As Roger said, this was the kind of scene that would make or break the film, and it wasn't something that parents or caregivers could explain away. Right. It made all of the coughing, feverish kids, which was still pretty dark to look at, not gonna lie, like it wasn't easy to watch, mm -hmm. and all the medical jargon look like a relative walk in the park. Yeah. Plus, again, we met this carpenter at the yes. beginning of the film making Rosie's sled. The juxtaposition. And there is something to be said for this juxtaposition of yes. how things can change so completely when disease takes hold. It doesn't discriminate. It does not. And we see this carpenter's shop that once held excitement and joy become something else entirely. The tone shift. The bass tone drop shift. there. Oh my oh, God. The bass drop. Really well done. And I know I keep harping on it but this film is so great about punching the callbacks and the reason that it has so much weight it has weight because you're seeing children's coffins obviously but it would not have that same weight i argue i i postulate i present to you it wouldn't have that same weight if we hadn't seen it in such a positive light just yeah. 30 minutes prior if we just saw somebody making coffins or we just saw them on the you know against the wall somewhere it'd be like that's sad it's but the guy making it's a the children's guy making toy the children's sled the guy that's usually happy-go-lucky and everything's right in the world and i'm gonna make a sled for and a he kid looks so tired to enjoy and, so it. and he is exhausted exhausted which tells me that this isn't the first kitty coffin he's made no there's three or four right there but it it, it looks like he's made a few and those are just the right. few that he's just made tonight in progress exactly those are just the ones he's made this evening oh this was such a simple poignant way to remind us of the crushing reality of this epidemic yeah. and if if you were simply too young to put two and two together it happens quickly enough that it could maybe just maybe pass over your head if you're lucky but yep. overall i'll say it again it's pretty dark it's pretty dark some people were confused to see Balto on our list, and I think the reminder of the kitty coffins really uh, put it back in perspective. I think the main thing I really want to drive home, because the coffins speak for themselves, honestly. They do. It's pretty dark. There are more feelings than words here. Absolutely. But, Not the only moment of this movie that I have more feelings than words about. But the thing that Roger said that really stuck out to me that I think you know could be important for us to highlight, be, this being our show, <laughs> the whole point of our show, mm -hmm. He was talking about the significance of keeping that element of reality mm -hmm. and darkness. It's realism. Yeah. That he, basically, yeah. He was saying that the if without the realism, you kind of lose the whole thing. Like this is this is what's going to make or break the movie. And without right. it, the weight of the movie, it's 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 no longer grounded. There's right. no more. This is the movie you're making, and it needs to have children's coffins in it because that was the reality of the situation. If you're going to the lengths to make a film about a historical event that really happened and where mm -hmm. children you know, did die. You have to acknowledge that. You have to acknowledge it or you're not doing it justice. You can't whitewash the history. Exactly. Just to make it more palatable. You have a responsibility, I guess, is the yes. way that it really hits hardest. And I think we can copy and paste the same sentiment mm -hmm. and put it to 
pretty much everything that we've covered. Mm -hmm. The whole point of our podcast is Absolutely. we do believe that the creatives, you know, we started out with this podcast just wanting to talk about the content itself, mm -hmm. not really fully considering how many minds and creatives and intelligent humans mm -hmm. were behind, you know, the invention of all these things. We wanted to and understand the choices better. And I think this conversation that we got to have with them mm -hmm. was the defining moment of doing that. Yes, you know, one truly. Of, one of them so far. It held up a mirror and helped clarify a lot of things for me, mm -hmm. at least. Me too. And now it's almost like we look at these writers and, you know, filmmakers and showrunners and everything from the 80s and 90s, almost like they had a responsibility to be honest with us, mm -hmm. to show us what life is really like. We hold them to that standard, honestly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So pretty cool of Roger to be, a, um, you know, a champion of an allowing, an advocate mm -hmm. for allowing realism and darkness in children's media because it helps david as well because he did david, it throughout of course, too. Of course. I mean, we talked at length about that with about david that and jody in our so previous, yeah definitely go listen to that but roger put it in such a succinct way he did it reminds us you know why we're all here why you and i are here talking but why you're here with us listener you know as a part of this sure. it it really is the core of why we have gathered mm -hmm. together today and it's both prepared us for an unjust world and also you know just up so both at the same time both things can be true and that's again something that we will continue to explore some and again the balance is important sometimes you know it helps us more than it hurts us and sometimes the opposite is true please doctor it's the only medicine we got Overall, the warm glow of the light from the clinic, combined with these coughing kids and the heartbreak in everyone's voices, broke something in me too. You can feel the gravity of the situation as it settles in. And something else that I noticed when rewatching that I have to point out because I'm me, yeah. was the complete and total lack of PPE at this clinic and in this hospital. Personal protective equipment, if you're unfamiliar. Ah. Dr. Welch literally does his exam of Rosie, then goes into his office and puts his head in his hands. I don't see any <laughs> gloves. I don't see any hand washing. And I didn't think that gloves were exactly common practice yet, certainly not in rural Nome, Alaska. I think they knew at least to wash their hands by then. Yes, but at the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is far, far well beyond germ theory times. But because this is That's Pretty Dark and because mm. I uh, have to go and look something up once I come across a question like this in my own research, rubber surgical gloves had been developed and introduced in the 1890s. Oh, wow. In fact, the history of rubber gloves is surprisingly romantic. <laughs> uh, I learned it via pastmedicalhistory.co.uk. Okay. Um, do you know about this, Christian? No. Are you familiar? I know. Mm. I don't. I do think that this romance will help us transition to our innuendo segment. Okay. <laughs> All right. Enlighten me. William Stuart Halstead was one of the big four founding professors of the Johns Hopkins Hospital, mm -hmm. and he was responsible for the development and introduction of several important surgical procedures, including radical mastectomies for breast cancer, as well as the establishment of the first training program and residency system for young surgeons. Mm. Caroline Hampton was a member of a prominent American Southern family and the niece of Confederate General Wade Hampton III. Oh. She rebelled against her family. Hell yeah. All of their wishes. And Good for her. entered into nursing school in New York City, graduating in 1888. And in 1889, she moved to Baltimore. And it was here that the two would meet and the love story would begin. 
She was appointed chief nurse to William Halstead, and before long, the two would become romantically involved. Hmm. Following work by a surgeon named Joseph Lister, Halstead decided to use a combination of carbolic acid and mercuric chloride as a disinfectant during his surgical procedures, which was a compound that they had just begun using to disinfect surgical instruments. Sure, and sure. just that advent caused the surgical mortality rate to drop from 50% to just 15%. Holy shit. Hampton, wow. who was acting as his scrub nurse, would have to handle these chemicals regularly to clean the instruments. Mm -hmm. And as a consequence, she developed severe contact dermatitis on her hands. I would imagine. And Halstead could not bear to see her go through this. And he reached out to the Goodyear Rubber Company to create a rubber glove that she could wear during surgery to protect her hands. Goodyear, huh? The same tire company. William and Caroline were married in June of 1890, shortly after he presented her with her own two pairs of rubber gloves made to fit plaster casts of her hands. Wow. And before long, other theater staff and surgeons began wearing the gloves too. And in time, their use became commonplace. And at this time, the gloves were only used to protect the hands of the staff. But in 1894, Joseph Lister, the guy that figured out how to clean the instruments, became the first person to then also sterilize the rubber gloves used in surgery, combining both practices, which wow. significantly improved medicine as a discipline. Yeah, I would imagine so. Both of those things together really just changed the whole landscape of medicine. I guess they just kept gloves for the lower 48. <laughs> Yeah, you convinced me that was a pretty romantic story. I thought so. You're into Changed all this like romantic late 19th and early 20th century stuff, and medicine apparently was just as romantic. Yes. yes. So, <laughs> thought you all might like to know that, and it helps us switch gears to round out on a very different note, because we must simply also address the innuendo and romantic implications we see among the characters of Balto. <laughs> Steel's a genuine hero, but do you give him a sniff? We'll start first with a couple that wasn't a couple, though we've already pegged most of Steel's neuroses. Mm. His unrelenting pursuit of Jenna and Jenna's complete and total disinterest, which yes. she's iconic for that. She doesn't even give him a sniff. Doesn't even give him a sniff. Mm -mm. This paradigm was very familiar to me as a child by way of Belle and Gaston. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think Steele ever really wanted her, though, because no. as much as he wanted to add to his image and prestige in town, I don't think he was capable. She was just the biggest catch. Right. And she was the one he couldn't get. And, yes. And that, too. I think the fact that he couldn't do it made it yeah. much more necessary for his ego. Wanted what he couldn't have. Exactly. Jenna, join me for dinner. You start at one end, I'll start at the other. And when we get to the middle, well, <laughs> you tell me. All right, Steele. No. There were so many great moments of rejection, including this one. God, I know. Because Jenna responds, Geez, to you. I have to admit, your offer is very tempting. It is. <laughs> these days, I prefer my meat cooked. I know. She tricks Steel into backing up into the furnace. It doesn't translate, but it still feels dirty. Well, exactly. It all feels dirty because he singes himself under the tail. Mm. And TV tropes pointed out why this feels dirty to you. Okay. It's very obvious. But because Steel's dog, his quoting from TV tropes, buttocks aren't the most important thing he's packing back there. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Jenna did not put up with one singular second of Steele's bullshit, and I loved it as a kid. No, it's pretty great. I thought it was the greatest thing ever. My favorite one was when he's hitting on her on Main Street. I don't know what to mm -hmm. call it. 
And he says, I know where all the bones are buried. I know where all the bones are buried. Like, yeah, me too. That was my favorite as a kid too. Because it's like, you get that moment of like, it's a little bit of a chill, but a little bit of a thrill. And you're like, oh my God, he's so he's so scary because he does know how to be charming. He has he really those moments does. of like, hey. And the fact that Jenna just totally blew him off was so impressive to me. I was like, she's immune, <laughs> you know? But that gives way for our actual couple and the discussion of such. Oh, and I've been waiting weeks to swoon about this with all of y'all. Time to swoon. <laughs> weeks, damn it. Weeks. <laughs> Boris loved it too, which he did. I will say when the comedic characters get involved in the romance, it goes a long way toward getting an audience of toddlers to root for the romance. Right. <laughs> so I was watching this at such a young age. Boris does this. Uh, Timon and Pumbaa. Mm -hmm. Sebastian. True. Boris was all about Balto going for this girl of his dreams. And he even did his own version of Kiss the Girl. Mambo! <laughs> She's not my type. And why not? This wolf business again. And what's wrong with being half and half, I'd like to know. Despite the fact that they weren't from the same station in life, Boris encouraged Balto to pursue Jenna. And this is a trope for a reason, okay? Yeah, it, it's, it works. It's a, it works. It's Aladdin pursuing Jasmine. It's Simba and Nala in some ways. It's in some ways, even though he was a prince, but yes. He was prince, but he, he had lost his way, needed Nala to come and tell him it's true. who he was. That's true. As a child, from the moment I saw Balto fixing his hair in the reflection of the puddle, all nervous to ask her to chase a few <laughs> sticks by moonlight, mm -hmm. I knew that these two belonged together. And although Jenna was rather scandalized by the size of his big paws. Oh, my God. I'm was so, she not? I was so surprised. I was going to ask you, was that supposed to mean something? Um, I'm going to say, yeah. Like, I think it's just supposed to like, it's all, it all has big the shoes? sheen of innocence. Yeah, big it, feet. It did. And it does. But like, but it's all dog it, something related, there. you know, physiology humor. and humor and puns mm -hmm. and like all and of this course, stuff in the context of the story. She's commenting on the fact that he's a wolf and we're supposed to know he's a wolf and she's not. And that's a big deal. But, but like the undertone the way that is it's done, my Balto, what big paws you have. After yeah, you. total innuendo, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it is. Balto. <laughs> big paws kind of run in my family. At least uh, one side of my family. <laughs> it's all of it still feels dirty. All of it. He got it from his dad, <laughs> not uh, his mom. I don't want to think about that. But that comment leads him to, and leads us to the scene under the barn, the boiler room, whatever it is. I don't know. It's the boiler room of the hospital. But somebody calls it a barn at some point too. Do they? I I got confused because it was referenced in multiple ways by multiple people. Ah. I don't know. Wherever they were down here in this basement. Yeah. They saw the Northern Lights, and I cannot say enough good things about it. <sighs> the Northern Lights. This is even a tier above oh. Ferngully's tide pool scene in my memory, yeah. which I loved, even though this only lasts a few seconds. Like, I know y'all know how much I loved that tide pool moment if you've heard our Ferngully episode, but it's similar in that way. Like they don't make them like this anymore. There's something so nostalgically romantic about these scenes, the way that romance was written into cartoons in the nineties. There was always this big show of like beauty and innocence and glamour. Yeah. Of like there is an innocence to it for sure. I've been waiting to analyze this for a long time because I really haven't been able to put my finger on why the scene was so important to me or why it meant so much to me. Mm. And I think I kind of got to the bottom of it. Okay. I think this scene shaped my personality 
by revealing a trait to me that I would be deeply attracted to for the rest of my life and a trait that I would try my best to emulate. Mm -hmm. With this little trip down to the basement, the boiler room, for the purpose of helping her get more information about Rosie, remember, Balto showed Jenna not only how much he cared and how well their mutual resourcefulness and adaptability and ingenuity could mix, but of course there's an element of playfulness to the whole thing. Yeah. He's momentarily transforming a waiting room, a dire, desperate, terrible situation, into something else entirely. Right. <laughs> to make this metaphor even more literal here, he shows her that he is someone who can diffuse the tension and brighten up the darkest moments with a glowing inner light. Hey. And this, to me, is one of the most valuable and beautiful things a person or a dog <laughs> or a wolf can do. He has the ability to see magic in the mundane, but even more so to make magic there. Wow, yes. And of course, this once again comes back later in a perfect full circle when Jenna uses the same trick to light the snowdrifts and guide Balto home when the light had been extinguished. What a payoff. I truly tried, and I still can't fully articulate why this matters to me so much, but I think part of it is that I have found myself in those dire medical situations, not just recently, although I have recently, but throughout my life. Right. And when I find myself in those moments that feel so hopeless, whatever I can do to climb out of them is that glowing, shining, sparkly light. I have to get to that light somehow. Right. And this was like the easiest, most, and it, listener, if you get what I'm saying, reach out, we'll talk about it because it, it's something that he was able to do for her it's something that he kind of taught her to do for herself. Sure. And it was something that I always wanted to do and ha and continue to want to do to this day in my life and lives of people around me. Yeah, it was a level of beauty and meaning that she had never witnessed before or had been able to access in mm -hmm. a town like that. And to be able to access it, not only in a town like that, but in a situation like that is the depth. When to him, it just came naturally. He was just like, hey, look at this cool thing I look discovered thing. like once right. upon a time. Because he's, you know, and to him, it's just sort of like, look how cool. And she's like, oh, my God, this is the most amazing thing I've ever yeah. seen. And that's that's kind of another element to it, too, because to him, it's just another day. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, these are the things that have kept him going his whole life. These little moments of magic. He's had to find these things because he's he had, had to nothing find them. else. He's, he had, exactly, exactly. He had no other privileges. He had nothing else. And he is seasoned at finding and making these moments happen. Yeah. And I love people like that. And I love Balto. For that. He's an artist in the making. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually. It is a lot like making art. What a guy. What a dog. Balto, I have to say, also had so much street savoir faire in this moment, of using course. his keys to the city and all to get them down into the of basement. Of course, that savoir faire, man. And it's like Roger said, he Balto doesn't take charge. Balto is in charge. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole different ballgame. As much as I love their romance, I really also do appreciate their attempts to make Jenna a complete and whole character without Balto. Right. As much as you can in a film like this, where the, their romance is one of the more minor plot elements. Jenna has a family and friends and a life of her own, and <laughs> apparently also some combat skills. And I didn't like that she got injured. I didn't like that, although she was coming to save him, she ended up being that sort of damsel in distress. But of course, it was critical to the plot that she go home. Uh, yeah. But I do love that it allowed them to have that moment together. Like we said, um, Balto's like, I'm beginning to see there's not anything you can't do. And then she also gets to reassure him and support him and build him up in that moment by sharing her scarf, mm -hmm. you know, and she's like, it's not much. It won't keep you warm. And he's like, yeah, it will. Like he's getting to tell her, you have value here. You, what you're doing is valuable. I think the main thing there is 
there's no way she would have let him go alone if she could physically go. If she could physically go. Right. She was there with them. So I think their fix is, well, she saves them from the bear. So maybe she's just injured, you know, like, so I could, I could see the logic behind it. I hate that she did have to sit it out too, but they needed him alone. Right. I think that was just it. Yeah, exactly. And it was just an easy fix. They needed him alone. Could have been cool if another animal got injured and she had to take that animal home. But yeah, that's, I think if if I had to do it, if I had to do it over, maybe. But again, you also want to get the sympathy for Jenna. You know, you want Jenna to be okay and all that stuff. So. Sure. Get that. But it could have been more empowering, I guess, for her. But I do like that the whole thing is kind of done in a way that it feels it feels old fashioned, but it has this 90s like girl power twist. You know, it's definitely like sprinkled on there. The girl they power, definitely tried. The, the brand of feminism that I grew up with, you know, yeah. that little dash of girl power, it's in here. And of course, some of that comes from her total denial of steel and her ability mm-hmm. to like be, you know, rough and tumble when she needs to. Right. And then there's something special about the way that she still kind of melts and has that femininity with Balto. Right. It's realistic in a way. Jenna does feel very like Disney Renaissance princess. It's like mm-hmm. Megara. Uh, I'm a damsel. I'm in distress. I can handle it. Have a nice day. Like, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's it's that too. There's some of that there too. And I think in these moments between Balto and Jenna, this was also the first time that I saw the whole scene where the girl's like, it's beautiful. Well, she's like looking at the scenery and, and goes, the inevitable yeah, guy looking. Beautiful. Yeah, it is. You know, like, while he's looking at her. Balto, you're right. It's beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Such a cliche. I was shocked to, like, to not see it on the TV tropes list for this movie. Because I was Honestly, like, yeah. this has a name. This is a thing that has a name. I see it all the time. But um, I either didn't see it or it wasn't there. So, But it was the first time that I remember that trope. And I saw that over over and over it happened in disney movies it happens it happened in live action everywhere. movies it happens in pretty much everything yeah i don't know if it does anymore but it definitely did a lot then it did in the 90s <laughs> my god it was in everything i wonder what started that gotta be some old movie yeah we talked a lot about how you know david and, and roger wanted to bring in older hollywood tropes so yeah very well could have its roots in some older movie if you guys know what that what that's referencing let us know mm-hmm. it had to come from somewhere that would be great if it all had a singular like ancestor of like a humphrey fiction. bogart like moment. this happened here and it blew up into all these things yeah that's something that i could have looked up and didn't but we'll we'll have plenty <laughs> more uh examples of it i think yeah darling beautiful lastly Beyond just our main love triangle, we've got these larger-than-life side characters uh, to not only bring levity, but to remind us that, much like in adolescence, rumors, rejections, and crushes are the social lifeblood of a small town. Mm -hmm. And that really hasn't changed in the last 29 years or even the last 100 years (laughs) since the actual event. And I'm not saying that with any shade, at least not nearly as much shade as Sylvie implies after Balto and Jenna's sparkly date. Yeah, I saw them so go into says, the boiler room and together. And they went in together and they left together. And I heard it from a very reliable source, so don't <laughs> bother to deny it. <laughs> well, then I won't. Oh, I'm speechless. And although it's not the most sex-positive way to frame things, I do really love that Jenna owned it and she didn't give them any explanation whatsoever. Right. Like, it was kind of progressive of her, you know? Mm-hmm. Then I won't. That's what happened. Think what you need to think. You very know? strong. Very strong. Just very, you know, taking ownership. And I thought it was, uh, it made me happy. <laughs> Good morning, Jenna. Ought to be a close race, don't you think? Maybe even neck and neck. From the earliest moments that we see Dixie, she's trotting along, not so subtly emphasizing her new collar or maybe her cleavage. 
Who's neck to say? and neck. <laughs> I think that's kind of <laughs> the point. Neck like, and neck. look at my collar, my necklace. Look how <laughs> yeah. deep it goes in my shirt. <laughs> Sylvie clocks this, of course, yeah. because she calls it like she sees it and tells Jenna to acknowledge it before Dixie gets whiplash. <laughs> before she gives a self whiplash. <laughs> Man, sorry for all of our accents today, guys. Hope They're you so love fun. it. Because, uh, yeah, but I loved imitating these characters They're as a kid. So and that's fun. kind of another thing we were talking about with them was just the the familiarity of these characters. It yeah. was baked in. It was already there for me to find because it was caricatures. drawn from caricatures of other actors, yeah. you know, characters, et cetera. Um, Dixie, what a pretty collar. Is it new? What, this old thing? Yeah. Do you think, um... Steel will notice. You had to have somebody worship the ground steel walks on. Oh, yeah. At least one character. At least one character, just to put it in perspective. And Dixie takes that fall. Unfortunately, it is the most insecure character. Yes. Very true. Sadly. And yeah, in all of these moments featuring Dixie, she is down bad for steel. Oof. Going so far as to say, On the other hand, my girl is away at boarding school. <laughs> and God. again i do feel like this walks the line between something that a logical young child could infer like okay she wants to be alone with him yeah so what like okay but then it's something that an older child or a teen if you're me will actually understand and be like oh she wants to be alone with she him. wants to be like <laughs> wink wink alone alone I told you guys we'd wink today <laughs> Luckily, like all the rest of the town's canines, not the town's people, the town's canines. The, the, the town's hounds. Dixie does come around in the end. The houndies. <laughs> the houndies. The town hounds. The, the houndies. Town the town, town. Yeah. Okay. That. <laughs> I don't know. But she does come around in the end. She does come around. She sees him for what he is. Steel, you are positively disposable. <laughs> that was a good moment. It was. And but seeing the honestly, one person who worships him, well, the others do. I mean, the, the guys. They, they the do team, and they don't. It's, the team it dogs It comes and do. it goes, right? It comes and it goes because they're very fickle friends. They're very fickle. They're yeah. very fair weather. And they're just going to be, you know, on the side of whoever's on top. They've been trained to follow. They they and have then, been. That is such a great point. That's such a great way to put it. They've been trained to follow. That's what they're taught to do. That's it. That's their whole personality in a nutshell. They're always just looking for their lead dog. Exactly. And she is unrelentingly and unapologetically obsessed with Steel. Mm -hmm. And so that's a really nice payoff to see her recognize him for the villain that he is yeah. and be disgusted by him. That's another good, you know, little to call it a lesson for children. Go, just because somebody is self-assured and self, you know, important like this, it doesn't mm -hmm. make them right. It doesn't make them important at all. Exactly. Yeah, totally. And they don't deserve your respect just because they demand it. Just because they, yeah. yeah. Just because of their attitude. Yeah. Honestly, I'm not sure if this is a hot take or not. I didn't see it mentioned anywhere else. So if I'm the first one to say it, I'd be shocked. But between Dixie's constant mixing up of her terms mm -hmm. and Coltag's overabundance of adjectives, of course, they're dogs. So I assume this is their second language anyway. Jeez. Would they not? Make a really cute couple. <laughs> I think they could help each other find all the right words. That should that would be in a fun in the sequel. Yeah, that would have been really fun. A, a, and maybe it, maybe it's there. And I'm or like a post credit turns, scene of them getting together. Can you imagine yeah, their dialogue? They, it would be hilarious. Their conversation. I I just want to see a conversation. I wonder if David and and David Roger <laughs> David, just Roger, write the scene for us. Just write we, a scene for we us. We will act it wanna... out on the podcast. Yes. Oh my God. Yes, please. I just think it would be perfect. And, <laughs> I relate to both uh, of them in that way. For Patreon. At different points, you know? Yeah. Because I do feel like Caltag a lot where I'm like, 
I have this word and this word and this word and this word. And I just say a bunch of adjectives and words that all kind of get there, but none of them hit the way I want them to. Hopefully, listener, you don't feel like that's the character yeah, that I'm You don't playing say. Today. I don't. We definitely don't <laughs> yes and each other into explanations of the points we're trying to make constantly. <laughs> not. Yeah, definitely not. Not a thing we do. Nope. So with all of that said, I think it's a good idea to just touch on the film's conclusion and the reception of the film. Things that we haven't said yet, anyway. Let's do it. We spoke in part one about the real Balto's welcome into Gnome, and it was kind of fun to see it happen in the film also. Mm. It's a huge payoff. There's a lot of relief, a lot of dopamine all around. Uh, <laughs> though, like you said earlier, those folks didn't seem surprised in the slightest by the presence of a doting goose or two doting polar bears. <laughs> no, not at all. But... The overlap of fiction and reality is again underscored when Kaltag and Star discuss Balta's bravery and how it should be immortalized. Right, they're talking about the statue. <laughs> you said it. Yeah, the, it, Boris says something similar earlier. He's like, you're going to be frozen into a statue early in the yes. movie. When he's yes, trying to convince does. him not to go. And these are all jokes that are, you know, they, they're jokes that the kids watching the movie can understand because the movie opens with, with the you know, looking for the Volta Well, statue they don't find, find it, right? They are don't they, in the beginning. They, they look for it. In the it beginning. They're looking the for it. Mm -hmm. Something you catch when you watch it the second time. Yes. Or the which, that kind of brings us here. Yeah. I have another big old confession for the podcast. I didn't realize that Grandma Rosie was actually Rosie until I was literally like nine or 10 years old, which this is several many years after I've watched this movie over and over and over again. Um, it went right over baby Kaylin's head. Thank you, Balto. I would have been lost without you. No, I mean, that's a pretty big connection to make when for a kid. I think that would go over the head oh, of any kid. I don't kid. know. I could be wrong. I don't know, because they, they, it's like the whole point, you know, it kind of ties it all together. And when I did realize it, when I was like nine years old, you know, I thought about it for days. And I was like, that was the smartest, most amazing, <laughs> most spectacular plot twist in the history of film. Like That was great. That was great. Yeah, I, I definitely felt that way once once I once it did click for me. <laughs> and I also liked that Rosie's granddaughter, upon hearing the story and kind of taking in the inscription of the statue, she immediately starts playing out the scenario with her own dog. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She's learning and understanding through play. Um, that's how stories do get ingrained and passed down. And I played out so many similar scenarios with my toys after I saw this movie so many times. Yeah, I'm sure. And I kind of was watching it now as a grown up going, I was that kid, you know? I want to play the sled dog video game, damn it. <laughs> we all wish we could live our sled dog dreams. Mm -hmm. Of course, we fade out to the credits with that iconic pop ballad, Reach for the Light, oh. because every 90s animated movie's got to have one. Got to have it. As we've said a few times, the release of Balto was unfortunately pretty much eclipsed at the box office due to the release Toy of Story. Toy Story a month prior. Mm-hmm. Volto did receive five Annie Award nominations, including Best Animated Feature. Wow. Which it lost to Toy Story. <laughs> sure, of course. In fact, Simon Wells said he also didn't fully comprehend the movie's enduring legacy until his oldest daughter began attending USC film school and let it slip that her father had directed Balto. Wow. Uh, he said in that interview that there was just this kind of explosion from her classmates because they'd all grown up with the video. Yeah. They'd only been born like a couple years after the movie came out, but it had been one of the DVDs in their parents' collection that had been on heavy rotation when they'd been children. And for them, this was one of the formative movies of their childhood. 
He said, it does make you feel old, but it's great. I really appreciate the ongoing fan groups that still to this day are so keyed into the film. Hmm. And of course, this was a while back that he even did the interview. Right. But his daughter is younger than us, and I'm here saying that I did the same thing. So it's even further reaching, you know, and kids that were even older than me when they watched mm -hmm. it. It is a whole, like solid decade of kids, if not more, because there are still kids discovering it today when their parents that are our age mm -hmm. are playing it for them. Man, yeah, home video changed a lot for a lot of these movies. I mean, it's probably how we saw 95% mm -hmm. of all this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's not only how I saw it, but it's how I saw it so many times. It's how it became right. so ingrained. Became something of idol worship, <laughs> these films. Yeah, it did. They did. What would we have done if we didn't have Blockbuster and movie stop and like know. places like that? That's it's one of the defining traits of our generation. How did people you see know? movies before then? <laughs> they went to the theater and then they sometimes played again in a theater. The, the theaters just constantly replay movies that have been made for oh, the past you know, 50 years. It's just one of those things that, that Wild. you know, makes the millennial generation what it is. Yeah. Was that access. I got to say it. Got to talk about it. Two direct-to-video sequels of the film did follow. Ah. They were made by Universal Cartoon Studios with their animation done overseas by the Taiwanese studio we've discussed before, Wang Film Productions. The first sequel, Balto 2 Wolf Quest, was released in 2002, and it follows the adventures of one, in, one of Balto and Jenna's very fictional puppies, uh, Elu, Elu, who sets off to discover her wolf heritage. The second, Balto 3rd Wings of Change, was released in 2004, the storyline follows the same litter of puppies from Balto 2, but focuses on a different pup, Cody, who is a member of a U.S. mail dog sled delivery team and is in danger of getting put out of his job by Duke, the pilot of a mail delivery bush plane. Okay. Well, they're keeping it, you know, within the spectrum, within the, right. the sphere of elements that made this, like, history and this story possible. This moment in history. Yeah. Using the mail, you know, mail routes. The sequels themselves, we know, had a lot of problems when it came to the canon and whether or not they're included. And, of course, they were made by different people. Right. But even the characters from the first sequel couldn't be brought back to the third sequel, some of them, because voice actor Mary Kay Bergman committed suicide in 1999. Oh, so wow. She was one of the actors, and that caused there a whole delay for two years. Um, Who did she voice? Fox. Wow. Apparently. Fox. Um, in Balto 2. But yeah. I, I guess they had plans to have her in the third movie and then they had to change everything and rewrite uh, because she wasn't able able to be. I see. So they had um, a hard time, I guess, with that third movie. But unlike the original film, neither of the sequels took any historical references from the true story of Balto and they don't contain any live action sequences either. Gotcha. While the sequels would fade from my memory pretty soon after seeing them, I, I would watch them again. I do want to see what they're all about. But, of course, the original film remains one of my favorites of all time. It's a good one. And in conclusion, I can comfortably say that I think I'd be lost without Balto, too. Oh, just got to follow the scratches in the tree. All the trees. Yeah, and I'll find them. Yeah. <laughs> I'll bark find marking. my way home. Bark marking them trees. <laughs> Emphasis on the bark. Emphasis on oh, the bark. Oh, Lord of mercy. I'm not tearing up. Definitely not. I didn't just finish a month of my life working on a movie that... <laughs> shaped me at shaped my core who you are as a person yeah wow yeah, that was a lot balto was a lot but uh thank you listeners for being here with us and uh traveling back in time with us it's been quite the relay we've had with multiple quite people the on relay, the podcast multiple people multiple stops multiple checkpoints it's true man i'm glad we made it me too back here in the american south wow <laughs> god bless the usa lower 48 amen <laughs> <laughs>
What a time, y'all. Thanks um, for being here in 2024 with us, kicking things off real good in a winter wonderland. Real, real good, and as hard as we possibly can. With, yeah. With three Balto episodes Lord. for you. Hope you guys like Balto. Uh, we also hope that you want to keep up with us. If you don't already, we are having a lot of social media activity lately, and right. I know that we have a lot of listeners that aren't following us on social media as well. So make sure if you want to keep up with what we're doing. You follow us on our socials. Uh, that's pretty dark podcast on Instagram, or that's pretty dark on TikTok. Although TikTok's mm-hmm. having all this, you know, this feud with UMG, so a lot of our TikToks are muted. But so are everybody else's. So, oh, you know, news to me. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, you you wouldn't know, but it's I a whole have thing. No idea. Taylor Swift, uh, big I'm big big negotiation deal. So glad TikTok I have no UMG, idea what's so. happening. I am blissfully ignorant. I will be over here in my little corner of the world, minding yeah. my own damn business. But if you want well, to invade my space, hey. you can also send us an email at that's pretty dark podcast <laughs> at gmail.com. Or, um, you know, and or, or a slightly larger corner of the world is our Patreon. That's right. Is that what you're trying to get at? Yep. I was yeah, going to take a there, but you did it. You already did it. Yeah, you can... Go to patreon.com slash TPD podcast. Mm-hmm. Got a bunch of fun stuff. I'm going to try to get uh, all the extras from our hangout with David and Roger. Yeah. We Everything that I cut, like a whole hour's had, worth of content. We had a lot of conversations and stuff, and we tried to hone in on the Balto experiences and like their early career experiences, but we do have some more content from that that we're excited to share with our patrons. Just some really great stories and more background about them together writing as a team and Steve Martin and uh, the shows that they've worked on. Their antics and anecdotes. God, it was such a fun time. Thanks again to those guys for joining us. We do want to thank our our new patrons too. Um, Thank you, Dustin F. And someone whose initials are DG. Well, dadgum. (laughs) Dadgum. Dadgum. Just gave initials, so that's how I'm going to shout them out. Thank you both so much for being on our Patreon. Yeah, thanks guys. It's always appreciated it's very much appreciated um thanks for contributing to what we do thank you so much thanks for listening we're gonna have more people this year we're gonna get into some really big requests we're gonna get back on the courage train soon um we've been missing that honestly haven't been back there in yeah. quite a few months so it's coming up next gonna yeah. do that we're probably gonna have some more are you afraid of the dark for you before oh too very long god yeah so stick with us it's gonna be a fun time yeah well, i guess that's all we have i think so well until next time guys sweet dreams See ya. Keep warm. Don't get frostbite on your face. (laughs) Please. Thanks for listening to That's Pretty Dark. Written and produced by Christian Baxter Mott and Kaylin Andrews. Our music is composed by Jonathan Simmons, and our art is provided by Paige Garland at Power Girl Illustration. Join the collective nostalgia and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at That's Pretty Dark Podcast. Share your experiences and let us know what shows, films, or villains still haunt you from childhood at That's Pretty Dark Podcast at gmail.com. Remember, you're never really alone. So, until next time, sweet dreams, everyone. <laughs>